0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio.
2: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program, Dr. Matt. uh, Here's the deal. Recovering from last night. Now, the cool thing is, I was doing a speech. So I had to catch up on the debate, which honestly felt quite easy to do. Because, you know, it really didn't seem too much like a debate for me. Maybe I'm just used to the Republican debate where it's a knockdown, down drag-out. But the Democratic debate seemed more like a cabinet meeting for President Clinton, where they're all on her side. Uh, no one's really going to mess. Nobody wants to start a fight. I mean, there were a few moments that got a little crazy. But... Uh, I don't know. It does still seem like a coronation to me. She, Hillary did a great job. I mean, honestly, but then I started thinking, well, yeah, but... No one's there really to fight.
3: Yeah, no one went after her. It's amazing. The Republicans just, boy, they just go after everybody. But the Democrats last night, I think they're a little afraid of the Clintons, to be honest with you. I think they are. Yeah. Well,
2: and I think it it really seemed like they just all wanted a cabinet position. And it seems like at the very beginning they met and she's like, look, okay, everybody lay off me. Yeah. I've got a position for each one of you. I'll
3: give you a great job.
2: And Chafee's like, even me? (laughs) Yeah. You too, pal. Just don't mess this up. Make me look good. Anyway, it didn't quite reach debate levels for me, but it was fascinating to see um, – remember, this – in both the Republican and the Democratic debates, everybody tends to run to the extreme, right? To the, to the extreme right mm-hmm. or the extreme left. right?
3: Exact- and correct, I should say. we're
2: sitting there – yes, right, to the right. <laughs>
3: to the right, right. But
2: we're, and you're sitting there and you have a candidate for president that is a socialist – and not like somebody pretending like he's not a socialist. No, he proudly proclaims he's a progressive it. Yes. socialist, right? And the and basically does not like capitalism. Mm-hmm. So they're going so far to the left that the whole thing is just blow up capitalism, right? And then Hillary came back and she defended capitalism a little bit, like she she's not totally against capitalism. She just wants to make it work better. Whew. So she did kind of go moderate there. She could have gone all socialist.
3: Well, the Democrats always say, you know, they always like to bring up what they can do for you and give you all these freebies. I mean, yeah. where, where are we going to pay for that? Oh, yeah. We're already almost up to $20 trillion in debt. Well, Where's a, the money coming from? What we're going to
2: do is we're going to tax the 1% that mm-hmm. are that make the 90% of the income.
3: Mm-hmm. The billionaires that I think uh, yeah. uh, Sanders, I don't know, he said the word billionaire. I don't know how many times last yeah. night. Quite a few.
2: It's like he doesn't like billionaires.
3: Yeah. I don't <laughs> like people who are successful.
2: But he's that That was a big thing. And we've talked about it on the show a lot about you know 28 million poor. Mm-hmm. And they're, they, they're, they're poor. They're not just like people that don't want to work. They're working poor. They're people that don't have enough money because they're like a single mom with three kids right. working right. for 15000 a year.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so he wants to help them. By the way, great. Let's do that. Uh-huh. But it's just – it was the weirdest – there and there's just a lot of clips. But you um, know, when
3: you, play, you could say, you know, I'm going to give you free college education. Well, you know what? My son would love a free oh, college yeah. education, but he's never going to get that.
2: Yeah, you know? it's going to be too late for it's him. Let's be realistic. But in the end, too, and the I mean, there's a bunch of issues that have to be solved. But I don't know. That wasn't a debate, right? They all agree.
3: You know, I, I didn't see the whole debate. Do you know how much ISIS or terrorism was brought up? I think it was very little. Very little. Yeah.
2: I, I didn't see. I didn't see much of that. Mm-hmm. But um, they, I did see. I mean, there was some pretty. There's some pretty weird. Um, comments. Let me give you just a few here. Uh, here, Here's Hillary. Here's Hillary talking about if she they asked her. So are you a progressive or a moderate? Because just a month ago, she was claiming she was a moderate.
4: I'm a progressive, but I'm a progressive who likes to get things done. And I know how to find common ground. And I know how to stand my ground. And I approve that in every position that I've had.
2: Now, that's Mm. a problem for her. Because she's going to have to come back to moderate. Right. So – but she's a progressive that likes exactly. to get stuff right. done. Right. And uh-huh. so I guess then she'll be a moderate.
3: When she gets – if she's the nominee. Who has
2: progressive ideas. Uh-huh. I mean she's going to have to who stands it.
3: her ground. I don't know if she means that she stands her ground as far as being the same like she was just six months ago. She's changed no, yeah, on, yeah, a, lot she's changed on like a lot of issues. Like they all do. I and mean, they all do. And she
2: makes a really interesting point. But she has more data. She's, more but, data. "This is What's so interesting about this is that that didn't ever fly with – Mitt Romney. Mm-hmm. If Mitt Romney said, well, yeah, I, have, I now have more data. So I should change my ideas, right? We should all evolve and change our ideas. But remember, he got creamed for changing his ideas. Right. And part of this all goes back to the system. They both have to pretty much uh, attract their base of progressives mm-hmm. or, or conservatives, mm-hmm. the extreme base, in order to get nominated. Right. And by doing that, they then have to take positions that they'll have to reverse – in the general election. So she, no matter what, is going to have to come back on some of these issues. The whole pot thing. Did you hear the whole comment about the pot?
3: I missed that. They
2: asked, so do you do you think that we should legalize pot? Are you ready to make a position to take a position on that? And she's like, oh, no, not ready to take a position.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Let me let me get a poll. Let me get a poll taken and then I'll get back to you on that.
2: It's so interesting. But the rest just seem like, I don't know, they, it's almost like seem there. like they're just like in awe. Yeah, they're on the stage with Hillary. <laughs> uh, is that Hillary?
3: You know, the scary thing is, I read somewhere where like the great majority of the country didn't even know there was a debate last night. Yeah, I think there are so many uninformed voters. That's what there frightens are. me. There that are. really scares me. Well,
2: and she's it's a coronation. It really it doesn't matter. It's a coronation because. She's she's got it wrapped up, which right. is why no one else is running, right? But, and after
3: last night, which I'm going to mention it, I, you wonder if Joe Biden saw that and went, "Yeah, I'm not getting in there."
2: Well, I don't know. I think I I think he might be intrigued because if the only one he has to unseat is Hillary, and Hillary still has an FBI investigation, right? But there was a comment made, and they say that they call this the gift. They're calling this the gift. This From is Bernie? where Bernie Sanders, um, Bernie basically handed Hillary the great out that she's needed. Now, McCarthy, Kevin McCarthy, the, one, the guy that was wanting to be the Speaker of the House, he handed her the out by basically saying that this was a partisan thing, this whole chase for the Benghazi thing. So let's hear what Bernie says um, about Hillary's emails.
5: Let me say something that may not be great politics, but I think the secretary is right. And that is that the American people are sick and tired of hearing about your damn emails.
3: Thank
6: you. Me too. Me too. There you go.
3: You know what? But I don't think they are. I don't think they are. No. When, more and more keeps coming out. And I think people are saying, no, wait a minute. If I did something like that, oh, yeah. you know, it's a totally different ballgame. If she, what she did was illegal, it yep. should be prosecuted. Well, 50,
2: supposedly 56, 57 percent of the American population, so that's the Republicans plus some independents, mm-hmm. don't trust her. Right. And they're not trusting her for a reason. Right. And so, she
3: has very high unfavorable. Yeah.
2: And, and, and they basically – and then even uh, Anderson asked her, so is this you're, – you're acting like this isn't a serious issue. There's mm-hmm. an FBI investigation. And even the president a couple days ago said, no, this is a serious issue. So it's serious, right? And she agreed. Yeah. No, I mean it's a serious issue. Right. It's just a lot of it is trumped up by
3: – Well, when the FBI comes out and says that your server was not well – Protected mm-hmm. and hackers could get into that, and you 're getting top secret information that 's serious it's serious that really is
2: well, especially when they hacked, they already hacked the White House computers you're right so if whoever South Korea or whomever the Russians hack or china China, china mm-hmm. hack hacked the uh, the White House, they can hack the Clinton bathroom server. <laughs> I mean, Probably heck, pretty simple. I can get into the Clinton bathroom <laughs> server. Oh, wow. You just use one of those. It's one of those door locks. You just push a hanger in there and you can get right in. It's
3: a piece of cake. Oh, wow. Anyway. Um, Let's hope it's a little more secure than that. Uh,
2: yeah. <laughs> it's an interesting debate if that's what we're calling it. But again, it it just – they're 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 just they're all looking for a job. It really just seemed like that. Right. And we've got more. We've got more stories. We'll use them every hour. I mean it just never ends. <laughs> Plus, just to hear what the Republicans are saying, it's – I don't know.
3: Yeah, it's really scary to think we have another year of this. Well, you know year. what else? And
2: Hillary didn't want debates. She wanted six debates yeah, basically. Yeah, that's
3: it. And, they're, and they are protecting her with
2: but, that. But the, they are totally protecting her. But the interesting thing is at this rate, it would only do her good to keep having debates because totally she's agree. killing it. She killed it last mm-hmm. night. It doesn't – I mean – She's it,
3: but but that's the problem. Who's she debating? Well, I mean, she's Bernie, debating a socialist. She's
2: debating a socialist that is saying stuff that I think a lot of people like because it it does basically say we'll take care of you. Yeah, you, I think you, it's more you, the you millennials no than millennials and anyone. To be independent, yeah, independent, right?
3: Yeah, help me out.
2: But he can't. How win. Did that?
3: How did that work for Greece?
2: Yeah, you can't win in the general. I don't think yet. No, as a socialist, I do believe we're on the road there. Oh. But boy, that's scary. That if we crazy? are? Well, it's, it's all the crazy. entitlement, right? I know. Totally. Let's get to the headlines with Kathy Aiken.
3: Good morning, everyone. The first Democratic debate is over, as we've been discussing. And no surprise, Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders getting the lion's share of airtime. Clinton called herself a progressive who likes to get things done. She also said it's time to stand up against the NRA.
4: I think that we have to look at the fact that we lose 90 people a day from gun violence. This has gone on too long, and it's time
3: the entire country stood up against the NRA. Here was one of the better exchanges last night involving Hillary.
1: I think we need someone that has the best in ethical standards as our next president. That's how I feel. Secretary Clinton, do you want to respond? No. Governor Governor. Obama.
3: Probably smart on her part. Meanwhile, Sanders defended Hillary saying Americans are tired of her email controversy. Sanders also said he believes America is ready to vote for a self-proclaimed democratic socialist and discussed his concerns on climate change.
5: Today the scientific community is virtually unanimous climate change is real, it is caused by human activity, and we have a moral responsibility to transform our energy system away from fossil fuel to energy efficiency and sustainable energy and leave this planet a habitable planet for our children and our grandchildren.
3: Clinton had the most attacks against her with 11, but also had the most time to speak with 28 minutes and 10 seconds. Sanders had eight attacks against him with 26 minutes and 19 seconds of airtime. Gun control was a hot topic with 40 mentions. The conflict with Russia and Syria with 36. And immigration was talked about 15 times. GOP frontrunner Donald Trump got two mentions, but the name Joe Biden was not uttered once. In fact, many this morning say the Clinton's performance last night may not have Biden entering the race. There were three others on the stage last night. Martin O'Malley said he wants to move to a 100% clean electric grid by 2050. Lincoln Chafee criticized Hillary for her vote on the Iraq war.
1: And you're looking at someone that made that poor decision in 2002 to go into Iraq when there was no real evidence of weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. I know because I did my homework. And so that's a, an indication of how someone will perform in the future. And that's what's important.
3: The fifth candidate, Jim Webb, said due to his military background, he would make the best commander-in-chief. According to the most recent Fox News poll, Donald Trump is in some trouble. Trump still leads all Republican contenders at 24 percent, but Ben Carson has nearly doubled his numbers in the last two months and is just one point behind at 23 percent. Ted Cruz is the only other one in double digits with 10. Marco Rubio comes in fourth at 9 percent, followed by Jeb Bush at 8 percent. A Wisconsin gun store has been ordered to pay nearly $6 million after jurors ruled the store was negligent in selling a gun to an underage buyer. Two Milwaukee police officers sued the store after being shot in the face by Julius Burton back in 2009.
1: If Badger Guns had done its job on May 2nd, then Brian and Graham would not have been shot on June 9th.
3: That was Officer Patrick Dunphy's attorney. Investigators say Burton got a gun uh, months before the shooting and then gave it to Jacob Collins, who paid $40 to purchase the firearm. The shop has since closed down. Burton is serving an 80-year sentence for two counts of first-degree attempted homicide. Collins got two years in prison for making the purchase. Former NBA player Lamar Odom is reportedly fighting for his life this morning. Odom was found unconscious at a Nevada brothel yesterday afternoon and taken to a Las, ba- Las Vegas hospital. Odom's a strange Wife Chloe Kardashian, as well as her sister Kim and mother Chris Jenner, are by his side. Odom won two championships with the Los Angeles Lakers. For the first time in team history, the Chicago Cubs clinched a postseason series at home last night.
5: And the O-2. Swag and a miss. Cubs win! Cubs win! Cubs win! Breaking ball got him. The Cubs with a massive celebration. National League Championship Series.
3: That was play by play, courtesy of TBS. The Cubs beat St. Louis six to four. The Cubs now await the winner of the Mets Dodgers Series, which is tied at two games apiece after the Dodgers won at three one last night. Two games on the schedule today. Texas is at Toronto and Houston is in Kansas City. Both winners tonight move on to the American League Championship Series. And Matt, did you see the story on Anne Hathaway? No. So I guess she was on a Paramount lot last week um, shooting a Japanese commercial when she ordered breakfast. So she ordered a poached egg along with an English muffin and mm, avocado. Yes. Yeah. So the catering guys were going crazy because she sent back the dish four times. So the first time, poached egg was too runny. Second time, English muffin was cold because it sat while egg number two was being poached. Third <laughs> time, egg number two cold because it sat while chef tossed toasted muffin number two. And at the fourth try, egg muffin, and avocado were perfect, but it took so long, she then decided she wanted a fried egg. Wow. So, you know, you got to cater to those people.
2: This is why McDonald's breakfast needs to be open <laughs> all day, yeah, right? That's why
3: they are, because Anne Hathaway, you know, you just can't get it right. So,
2: <laughs> holy I cow. Know, sometimes I mean,
3: those divas, you say, really?
2: I know. That's, Come
3: on. And I love her as an actress. She's
2: a great actress. Yeah.
3: Picky, picky. Yeah. I mean, Man. I know you do that every once in a while. That's but every you know, day. The, the, the catering team here does its best to help you.
2: You know what? Yeah, they can never get the poached egg right. <laughs> I know
3: uh, that's a tough one.
2: And you know, poached eggs; those are important.
3: Mm-hmm. And that's, if it's you know, and then you then the egg, you know, the, the muffin gets a little too cold, uh, but you have to do it again. Cold, so you have to do muffins. that again, and then eggs wrong. Oh boy, such a dilemma for you, Matt. You're so you're uh, how so was, picky. How
2: was the avocado? Did the avocado? I think turn that out stayed, okay?
3: but you know, when after a little while it turns it a little brown. brown. hmm so,
2: It's yeah. so uh, just give me a fried egg. Oh. Uh, <laughs> you know what? It, it seems like uh, the Cubs. By the way. Cubbies, the, the, a third not. of the curse of the goat apparently is off their yeah, back. There we go. Two thirds more. They yeah. got two more series to go, or two, right?
3: Right. Then now they'll play the winner of the uh, Dodgers and the Mets. So mm-hmm. that ought to be good. That ought to be a good series. And so the winner of that then goes on to the World, World Series, series.
2: Oh, which this they haven't is won cool. in forever. Good stuff. Hey, we got a great topic coming up. Have you have you heard of or seen any ads lately from DraftKings or FanDuel? I'm seeing them everywhere. They're all over now. Every commercial during a sports game seems to be from DraftKings or FanDuel. We're going to be talking about the inside world of fantasy football and some of the, uh, I guess, the potential scandals, uh, if we're going to call them, the alleged scandals. Some insider trading has been alleged. It's a scary business, folks. Gambling. Is it gambling? All of this fantasy football stuff. Stick with us. We'll come back. We'll be talking with Darren Heitner about uh, giving us the inside scoop about fantasy football. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends. To the Matt Townsend show, you know, on October fifth, the New York Times reported that DraftKings uh, if you've seen them, they're a, they're an online site that uh, where you can wager um, for your fantasy football players and fantasy football leagues. Um, but uh, apparently, a Draft Kings employee was uh, an employee won three hundred and fifty thousand dollars by betting on a competing fantasy league site, FanDuel. And um apparently the the report claimed that he used information that was basically inf- insider information and it gave him an advantage by betting on uh, you know a, a, an opposing or a competing fantasy league site. So it created this incredible uproar about fantasy sports and the betting that's going on behind this and and the whole industry In general, some of the numbers will just blow your mind. According to reports compiled by Sports Management Degree Hub, the players are predominantly male. So those playing these uh, fantasy leagues are predominantly male. Over 80% in the U.S., 78% of the participants have college degrees or more, earning an average annual income of about $92,750 crazy numbers, right? League members are spending on average 18 hours a week watching the sports and an additional nine hours a week tweaking and calculating their teams. So about 27 hours. This is like a part-time job for many. And um, when you get into the actual numbers of the fantasy football um, revenue alone, it is worth just fantasy football alone is worth four and a half times more than the Dallas Cowboys. The NFL's wealthiest teams, right? That is the NFL's wealthy, one of the NFL's, or I think the, the NFL's wealthiest team. By the way, the entire uh, fantasy football kind of franchise, or all of, the, all of the sites and everything, is $6 billion more than the NFL itself, which is making the fantasy football league an incredibly valuable asset. And by the way, an incredibly valuable asset to the NFL and the NBA and all of these other leagues, and now there's the alleged allegation of insider trading and gambling. Now, we we know that you're not supposed to be gambling in these sports uh, and be connected to these sports teams, right? So it creates some really uh, weird possible conflicts of interest. And we wanted to sort through it all. We've asked Darren Heitner to join us. Um, Darren is... Basically, he's the founder of Heitner Legal, PLLC, and he specializes in his organization in sports and entertainment law, and he's here to help us kind of sort through it all, all things fantasy football, and is it gambling or is it not? Darren Heitner, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show.
7: Thanks for having me.
2: Thanks for being here. I mean, really, to me, this is is so confusing. We were at dinner the other night, and my sister is the craziest fantasy football player you've ever seen and um, rabid, quite honestly. And so I want to know, first of all, just do this for us. Explain, just kind of in a quick summary for those that don't play fantasy football, what is fantasy football, and then what does fan duel and DraftKings have to do with it?
7: Okay, well, first of all, I think it's important to take note of a few words that you mentioned in, in your introduction. Bet, wager, and gambling. That is exactly what fantasy Fantasy football is not, according to a law in 2006 called the Unlawful Internet Gambling Enforcement Act. It specifically carves out fantasy sports from the definition of a bet or a wager.
2: So it's not what a gambling. Be- sports? Go ahead. Go ahead.
7: Well, what is fantasy sports? Essentially, it needs to comply with that carve out. And one of the key elements is that you are picking players. And that the results of these matchups between you and friends or unknown competitors is based on the accumulated statistical results of those professional athletes.
6: So it's not
7: based on the outcome of games, but based on the accumulated statistical results of players. And so that's what distinguishes fantasy sports by and large. From traditional sports betting where you may be betting on the over under or the outcome of the game okay so
2: you're really just playing their stats
7: that's correct That's that's an important and required element in order for the carve out to apply for an operator in order for the operator to feel as though it is operating within the confines of that federal law from 2006 however on a state-by-state basis, it may still not be deemed illegal because states have the opportunity to provide more strict requirements for it to be in compliance.
2: Okay, so states can actually they, – they could tighten down the laws a little bit and say, great, you can't do that in our state.
7: And really what it boils down to on a state-by-state basis is from the federal standpoint, this 2006 law, there's a requirement that skill predominates over chance. Hmm that there is this skill element involved in the operation. And you have the equation, which really is hard to determine, but it has to be skill, let's say 51% or more over chance. Whereas in certain states, such as Arizona, Louisiana, and a few others, as long as there's any chance whatsoever, even if skill predominates over chance, it's not deemed to be legal. And so these operators have to be careful that they are doing their best to preclude people within those particular states from playing.
2: Oh wow! Man, see, this is it, this is where it's going to it gets so complicated, right? It's like it seems like it's uh, the states are going to have problems with it, like they did online, you know, poker.
7: Well, where it becomes even more complicated is you have these big websites such as FanDuel and DraftKings that have they they pick. A handful of states not to operate within because they find those laws to potentially or likely prohibit them from having their operations within the state. But one, one state, it happens to be the state in which I reside and practice law, is Florida, where FanDuel, DraftKings, and others have been operating for quite some time, despite the fact that there's a statute on the books that seems to indicate if there's any that, that, despite skill possibly predominating over chance, it would not be legal. And there's an advisory opinion from a state attorney general back in '91, so it is a little bit dated. But it, it essentially interprets that statute to mean that paid-for prize fantasy sports cannot be provided to individuals in the state. And now you have a federal grand jury investigation that's going to take place in Tampa, Florida, to, to determine. Have these
8: operators
7: violated not only the state law, but federal law Mm. based on their violation of the statute.
2: Wow. And then to complicate the whole thing, there was the allegations and I guess the investigation out of New York about Ethan Haskell, who works for DraftKings, and um, he won $350,000 by competing on a FanDuel site, but they believe he may have known the uh some of the data ahead of time so i had some insider so, trading data
7: right so you know you mentioned betting and wagering and gambling before and i want to bring up this point which is it doesn't seem right it seems like insider trading but from a legal perspective when we talk about insider trading we're talking about securities and we're more familiar with right. it the stock market where it's become an issue and it's been regulated. Here, we're not talking about the trading of securities. We're talking about, obviously, the drafting of players for the purposes of fantasy sports. That doesn't necessarily mean that what happened was entirely legal. Uh, it could have been deceptive to the consumers that are spending money on these sites with the belief that they're at an equal playing field, at least they're not being deceived into, into the, into playing, when employees may have a competitive advantage due to their positions. Um, and this all became known due to Ethan Haskell, as you mentioned, leaking the data without purpose of doing so. Um, and then it went on a, a message board, as you mentioned, New York times decides to send out a push notification to all users of a mobile app. I mean, How often does that occur unless it's like a major international event? And so that added a lot of legitimacy to this issue. Mm. And I think that's why you see congressmen, state attorneys general, et cetera, now coming out of the woodwork and saying, hey, we've got to look into this.
2: This is, I mean, it's an interesting, um, it started, it seemed like such a, you know, innocuous, nice little thing, build your fantasy football team. You can compete against other teams, and it's almost like you're playing in the NFL. But then you start to see how much money is being spent and the value of these teams. And um, and all of a sudden, you start to realize that this is bigger than the NFL.
7: Oh, this is huge business. I, you, I, I listened to your introduction, and it was great and touched on a lot of key points. But look at FanDuel and DraftKings. Each have raised in excess oh. of $300 million.
2: Each, From, right? Yeah.
7: Correct. That's Correct. It's
2: six, and, and 700, bi- $700 million in venture capitalist money to go and blow this company up and make it big, or these companies up.
7: Big. And, and I believe, as you mentioned, it's not only VCs, it's also professional sports uh-huh. teams that are now in bed with these operations. And it's interesting to note that because at the same time, these are the leagues that have for years claimed that sports betting should, be, should remain illegal. Right. Because because having sports betting would would put at risk the integrity of the games. Meanwhile, yeah. they have actively invested NBA and FanDuel, MLB and DraftKings, and there are other leagues that have invested. The NFL has not invested in any of uh, these particular operations, although you have team sponsorships oh, throughout but, the league.
2: But by uh, the way, Major League Baseball. I mean, have we heard of Pete Rose before? Major League Baseball is is a big investor, I guess, in DraftKings.
7: That's correct, and and all, and it includes partnerships with every single Major League Baseball team where it was deemed uh, acceptable to play within that state's borders by DraftKings and by Major League Baseball. What's really interesting about that deal, too, is after the Ethan Haskell debacle was uh, exposed by Forbes, New York Times, etc. Major League Baseball comes out with a statement that it was surprised to find out that employees were allowed to participate. And that struck me as very odd. How are you, as Major League Baseball, this huge institution, putting money into draftings without conducting that simple due diligence to find out that employees were allowed to play? I mean, this is known to the industry at large. Yeah. So it's a, it's a little shocking that you have these leagues that have for decades fought. Mm the imposition of sports betting on a nationwide level, but have so quickly decided to throw money at FanDuel, DraftKings, etc.
2: Man, let's do this, Darren. Let's take a break. Uh, We're speaking with Darren Heitner, founder of Heitner Legal, PLLC, who specializes in sports and entertainment law. He's helping us understand this whole uh, fantasy football league and the the fantasy football, um, I don't know what we call it, wagering? I don't know what we call it. Um, But... It's, it's, it's a really I think pivotal moment in sports in, in America. Um, you've heard us talk before with some other uh, experts on sports betting and FIFA and and how money corrupts and um, you know some of the experts we've talked to said America seems to be one of the countries that have avoided the gambling in the, in the and in major influence from or certain organizations in our professional sports and yet it seems to be that we're moving that way um could be dangerous stick with us folks we'll be right back more with darren heitner right here on the matt townsend show Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, today we're talking about the inside world of fantasy football. You've seen all of the ads from DraftKings and FanDuel. By the way, FanDuel, um, this was a, an article. Our guest today is uh, Darren Heitner, and Darren is the founder of Heitner Legal PLLC, who specializes in sports and entertainment law. And about a month ago, he wrote an article in Forbes um, magazine called Daily Fantasy Sports Showing Strong Growth Despite Legal Concerns. And uh, one of the things that he mentioned in his article, so this is a month old, but it's, it's actually, oh, sorry, a couple, oh, sorry, a couple days ago, uh, October 12th, um, FanDuel spent $16.7 million on national advertisement in a week, right, which puts them right behind Geico, so think of how many times you've seen a Geico commercial. FanDuel is advertising as much as Geico, and if you've seen DraftKings, they're they're similar. So um, it's it's interesting. And now there's there's more and more questions about you know if if it's legal, if there's insider trading going on with some of these these groups. Um, but Darren Heitner, welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Sure. Hey, I wanted to ask you, because I at the very end of my last uh, segment when we were leaving, I didn't know what to call it. So we don't call, they're not wagering, they're actually just paying fees, and then you win, you win, like, contests. Is yeah, that what you, we're you calling, calling this? Competitions. Competitions. We
7: can call it competitions, games, etc. Um, and you know just for the purposes of, of all listeners not all fantasy sports competitions are pay for prize okay there are a lot of operators that strictly provide free types of games but also the FanDuel's DraftKings, draft Kings, and the bigger operators provide those types of services as well so it's not simply that you must play with some sort of monetary consideration um but Certainly, that's what the operator is hoping that you're going to do because that's how it plans to make money.
2: Mm. And you also, um, the, I guess, one of the difference with DraftKings and FanDuel is they also they don't make you just ha- you don't have to sign up for an entire year for an entire league and go with your team and stick with your team the entire time. You can do a day to day kind of fee. Play that, game by the game.
7: Right, that's the whole theory of why FanDuel and DraftKings and other operators developed in the past year to four years is because they believed that there was this niche, this area where users would be interested in participating on this week-to-week, day-to-day um, platform and, and were not necessarily interested in the season-long type of competitions because either it was too time-consuming or if you started off, poorly, it was impossible to come back, you lost interest, uh, injuries took too much of a toll, uh, etc. So that's really what spawned the creation of this daily fantasy sports industry. Wow.
2: And it, to me, it's scary because all of a sudden, my, my team, my boss, my owner of my team, Can Not as a team, they can't own any stock, I guess, in DraftKings or FanDuel. But as an owner, I can have my own companies owning stock, and I can make money from DraftKings advertising in my stadium. I can cut deals for advertising. Um, So I can be making a lot of money even just from the – whatever we're calling – the fantasy leagues – And all of a sudden, it seems like, you know, maybe losing a game or having some bad stats from one of your top performers, it seems like there could be a behind-the-scenes deal somewhere that someone could throw a game.
7: Well, that's the whole hypocrisy behind the leagues and perhaps the teams taking a position that sports betting in some way puts the integrity of the game at risk, whereas Fantasy sports, whether it be daily or season-long, does not. Mm. You have Robert Kraft of the Patriots, Jerry Jones of the Dallas Cowboys that are both invested in fantasy sports operations. So that goes to your point. But further, as you mentioned, teams are making money off of these partnerships. And whereas it may have started a year two years ago at roughly 500000 to to $1 million per year, for various rights to be granted. Now we're seeing deals in the realm of a million to $2 million per team, per operator. And so it's, it's big business. Mm. You mentioned FanDuel spending, you know, 15, $16 million this past week. A few weeks ago, DraftKings actually spent roughly $20 million in a single week on TV <sighs> advertisements, which, which amounted for number one, beyond Geico, beyond. Wow. The motion picture studios that are trying to pump out these new films and get you into the movie theater. So it's it, it's massive.
2: This is, and again, like we we had some uh, gentlemen on our show um, a couple months ago talking about FIFA and really they talked about the Asian soccer leagues that are all over Asia and really how they are all corrupt and being run by gambling sites. And so really the whole integrity of sport in many countries, it's shot simply because there's so much gambling and investment in there. And he he just said in a, a, I don't know, kind of a foreboding way that the United States has somehow managed to avoid this until recently. And it's scary when this much money comes in and you can make more money – uh, and And your fantasy league companies are worth more than your n f l teams it 's scary, and this isn 't even just football right this is all sports
7: well I think it 's a much different position so i 'm not of the position that you know there is a huge threat that money could potentially influence the way that particular players perform um my thinking is that if you're going to not be concerned about fantasy sports and the potential of money influencing the players and their performance, you should also not necessarily be concerned about the potential for sports betting on the outcome of games having mm. a similar, similar effect. Um, I, I do believe you have to look at it in perspective as to maybe what the players were being paid back in the days of the Black Sox scandal, as opposed to today when minimum salaries – are you know hundreds of thousands of dollars and it doesn't make financial sense or from a legal perspective for a player to perform in a certain way especially when these fantasy sports operations require the selection of multiple players per fantasy team the idea that a single participant in fantasy sports could influence an array of players to, to get a win it, it just doesn't make fiscal or, or legal sense to me. So I'm not so concerned about the ability to add corruption to the games. I just think that it's hypocritical for the leagues to take the position that fantasy sports doesn't serve as a concern, whereas sports betting may. Yeah. Does it. Now, now, let me just add yeah, go up ahead. to that. You know, there, there is in recent Time the development of something called esports, which is essentially competitive video games. Right. I don't know how familiar. Yeah, we we've talked
2: been. about that this too. Is,
7: this is a booming business. There, I am a little bit more concerned about the potential for the integrity of the games to be jeopardized by these under-the-table payments, because you don't have standard salaries being paid to participants. You and, and those that are making money are not making anywhere near, for the most part professional athletes in these major sports in the U.S. So I think that the potential to influence by the fantasy player is heightened with esports at the current moment, uh, whereas it shouldn't necessarily be a a concern in baseball, football, etc.
2: Do you sense that uh, government regulation is on the horizon? Are they going to come swoop in and start saving the fantasy leagues from themselves?
7: Um, I don't know if they're going to be saving the fantasy
2: (laughs) nation I know, that's how they'll frame it. I do believe that
7: regulation is coming. Uh, I think at this point in time you have too many, uh, as I mentioned, state attorneys general, uh, congressmen and women, senators, um, and now you have this federal uh, grand jury investigation. Uh, It's not a matter of if, but when. Uh, And the hope is that it's not to destroy the fantasy industry, which... I do believe, and, and the numbers show it, despite the, uh, and you mentioned my article on Forbes, despite the scrutiny in the space, there's actually growth. More yeah. people are playing than ever before this past week. So, you know, people enjoy it. You mentioned, um, I, I, I forgot, somebody related to you that is obsessed.
2: Oh, with my sister.
7: Before, so I have a lot. Your sister, my yeah. girlfriend, who never watched football before, is now obsessed because of her things. So, um, you know, generally the leagues notice this and that's why they're in bed with these fantasy operations now, because they see how it benefits them indirectly and then they hope from that it will benefit them directly, despite the fact that none of these fantasy operations are actually generating a profit at this point. Um they're actually hemorrhaging money with regard to their advertising and partnerships, uh, but you know, they have solid financial backing. So the, so the hope is that the regulations Add some clarity to the existing federal carve out, which is only roughly two hundred words in length yeah um, that they that they limit the types of advertising that these fantasy operators do provide some clarity um, and that the messages aren't deceiving and then obviously with this east with this Haskell debacle, there needs to be some sort of rules implemented regarding you know what fantasy companies can and can't do with regard to their employees
2: and I assume they have to be over eighteen to be involved in the contest.
7: Right. I mean again, the, the hope also is that there will be more firm regulations concerning who can participate. Also in for those states with that try to uh, prohibit participation, there probably needs to be better instrumentalities that are placed within these operations so that, you know, it's not simply you checking off a box saying you're not in Louisiana or Arizona, but there's, you know, some sort of intricate system that does its best to ensure that. Um, I, I believe that there's a third. There, there have been class action lawsuits recently filed against fanduel and DraftKings, and I believe a third one was filed yesterday. Interestingly, it was filed by an individual based in the state of Louisiana, which is a state that prohibits uh-huh. fantasy sports uh, competitions, or at least
2: Interesting. DraftKings
7: yeah. and Fanduel have interpreted have interpreted the law as such. And so it, it'll lead to an interesting discussion. Hmm.
2: And then, and DraftKings and FanDuel—they're already like self-censoring. They're all already creating their own rules, making rules that you can't bet on each other's games. And I mean, they're trying to tighten their own belt, right?
7: Yeah. Well, unfortunately, they're behind the a ball. Yeah. It would have been better for them to be proactive um, and maybe spend a little bit more on on legal and. Now they have third parties auditing their practices and, and helping them determine what their changes should be to their rules and regulations and their terms of service, et cetera. Um, but, you know, that that's, at first, after the Ethan Haskell debacle was unleashed, you had Sandor and DraftKings take a very, um, I would say, not a, a very strong approach to trying to resolve some issues by saying we're only going to temporarily ban our employees from participating on each other's website and then very quickly thereafter it was changed to a permanent ban mm. and we've seen other operators follow suit and say you know we're, we're permanently going to ban our employees from playing on third party operators etc so um... you know it, it, it would be beneficial for these operators to sort of figure out what may become the next big issue and try to resolve it now as opposed to waiting for additional scrutiny Yeah. Um, that said, you know, they've been appropriating so much money toward advertising and partnerships, uh, perhaps a little bit of that should be shifted to legal.
2: It's so true. And hey, maybe hey, they could call you, Darren. Uh, Darren Heitner, <laughs> cool. we, we appreciate you, man. Darren is the founder of the Heitner Legal uh, uh, PLLC, and he specializes in sports and entertainment law. He also is the author of uh, the Forbes article, Daily Fantasy Sports, showing strong growth despite legal concerns. Darren, we appreciate you. Great insight, great information for all of us. You know, buyer beware. Pay attention, folks, to what's going on um, in your world. And you can enjoy fantasy football, and you don't even have to go to the, you know, the sites where you can make the money. But uh, just know it's out there. Anyway, appreciate it. We'll take a break, come back, do a quick, uh, quick review, and then... Uh, Take another break and start a whole new hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us, folks. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends. Oh, the crazy web of life. Do you remember when you used to just watch, you know, the Rams, Pat Hayden as quarterback, Jack Youngblood? Do you remember those days? Mean Joe Green, all these guys that were your idols, and they'd throw you their jersey and drink a Coca-Cola. Seems so innocent back then. Now, there's not; it's not wagering. You just pay some fees like a day trader. And you can move your stocks around every day and move your loyalties around. You're not even just a fan of a team per se. And you can make money. I don't want to sound like it's like I'm 90. These young kids and their wily ways. But uh, it's just weird, right? We, We hung Pete Rose out to dry for supposedly allegedly betting. On games. And yet now we have Robert Kraft and Jerry Jones, two of the biggest owners, richest owners in the NFL. They're in bed with organizations that make money on not wagers. <laughs> it's not gambling. Anyway, it's just weird. And I still will never forget the words of some of our past guests that, you know, NFL, NBA, these teams have been – or these organizations have been able to steer clear of these gambling sites that have come into every other country and messed up a lot of their professional sports. And I'm not saying FanDuel and and, uh, DraftKings will do it, but other entities, once we're all used to it, might turn it into real gambling problems anyway watch out for it just buyer beware and player beware we'll take a break folks that's our number one of the matt townsend show we'll be back with a whole new hour whole new insight stick with us
0: This is the Matt Townsend show
1: your guide on the side
0: follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at Dr. Matt show
9: call the show
0: at 1855 chat BYU
1: this is the Matt Townsend show
0: Dr. Matt Townsend now on BYU radio
2: BYU radio good morning everybody welcome to the Matt Townsend show Dr Matt here your coach your Democratic debate lover. Mm, I can't get enough of that debate.
3: I knew that was you. Did
2: you know that? I love
3: that stuff. You know Ah.
2: what? Oh, what a great night. I actually didn't get to see it live, (laughs) so I got to watch it all night till like one in the morning, Mm. just watching clips.
3: Just exactly what you wanted to do. Mm,
2: Fun, fun, fun. And honestly, let me just play a few clips, and then I'm going to play my interpretation of what I saw in the debate, I think just right up front, I have a feeling that Hillary Clinton's the leader there because <laughs> nobody nobody could put a glove on her. I mean, they tried. They really did. They seriously tried. But it, it, it was hard. So let's play a few uh, clips for you. I'm going to run through um, first Webb, uh, Jim Webb. We didn't hear so much from and he actually he kept complaining about it.
4: Well, first Anderson, of all, can I I'm just discussion. Her, at some point? We,
7: well, yes, you'll be coming in next, but she was qu- directly <laughs> quoted. Thank you. So. I've been standing over here for about 10 minutes. Trying. Okay. It's, it's gone back and forth over there.
4: Well, I am in the middle here and uh, lot, lots of things coming from all directions. You, got the um, lucky you know,
7: I have Governor Mellon. Anderson, I, Anderson I, think I think we are, are learning. Marker. Anderson, Anderson, Anderson I, I, think I think there's a lesson. The uh, I hope I get that kind of time here. Yeah, i speaking of changing positions on the positions on how this debate occurs, kind of frustrating because unless somebody mentions my name, I can't get into the discussion. You agreed to these uh, rules and uh, you're <laughs> wasting time. So well, if you would finish your right, answer, well, I'm, on. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm
5: trying to set a mark here so maybe we can get into a little more later on. This hasn't been equal,
3: equal time. I think you didn't get equal time. What do you
2: think? I, I, I think the minute you're debating <laughs> the moderator for time,
3: mm-hmm. I think you've lost. Yeah, you're in trouble.
2: You're in trouble. But And it's not like they weren't trying to give him equal time. I just think no one was interested. <laughs> They, and Hillary would jump in. In fact, they kept giving Hillary opportunities, like, even about integrity and honesty. And let's see if she'll take the – let's see if she takes the bait.
1: I think we need someone that has the best in ethical standards as our next president. That's how I feel. Secretary
7: Clinton, do you want to respond? No. Governor – Governor nope.
4: – I, so. I don't want to go near that on one. i
3: not going there. la, la, la.
10: la.
4: How would you like to be
5: a bird that
2: doesn't fly? This is it. The Island of Misfit Toys.
6: (laughs) An ostrich. (laughs) Or a boat that can't stay afloat. We're all misfits. (laughs) I just think it is the weirdest
2: group of people because half of them were Republicans a few years ago.
3: Isn't that interesting? How That's they all so just crazy. happen to change. But I find it so interesting. They are so afraid of Hillary Clinton. They are so afraid of yeah. that Clinton machine. They don't dare touch him. I mean, they were Republicans, and they're not afraid of anybody. Yeah. You know, Donald Trump. They go after anybody. But wow, on that side, don't dare it's say anything so... bad about Clinton.
2: And then Chafee's like, "I like ice cream." <laughs> What'd you say, Chafee? I don't know. No one's talking to me down here.
3: I don't have enough time.
2: I feel that. I mean, because Hillary, honestly, she's she's the heir. Yeah. And they all know that. Mm-hmm. And so it seemed like to me just the great duel to see who gets to be in her cabinet. And I think pretty much it's going to be Bernie. He's the only one that's got a prayer. <laughs> I don't know. Because she doesn't even give Jim Webb the time of day. No. Uh, anyway, interesting, interesting debate. And, you know... What do you do? This is this is the first of six for the Democrats mm-hmm. and the Republicans have, I think, another 70.
3: Pretty close. So, so what's your thought? Do you think Joe Biden is going to get in the race after that debate? I,
2: I don't know. I thought – I I have always thought he, he would and so I, I still am going to go with – yeah, he'll get in the debate because I, I think he's still – and MB, MSNBC was even saying that. I mean it's interesting who you listen to. Fox thinks it was the biggest joke in the world. Um, and how unfair! Because they did such a different approach with the five Democrats than they did the Republicans. Mm-hmm.
3: Very different. So
2: that turned into a big duel on air. But MSNBC, they're they're sure Biden's coming in. Mm-hmm. They're like that. She didn't close any doors. In fact, she just showed that where she's weak in a well, few areas. And interesting, she doesn't fully want to run on Obama's record, and Joe will. And I think, I don't know, I think, too, it depends who Joe Biden gets as his – if Elizabeth Warren would run with him as vice president, mm-hmm. I think the Dems would eat her up. Yum, yum, yum. <laughs> They'd eat her up. They'd eat the whole group up. And then she could be the first. But by the way, Hillary played that a lot, that card a lot, right, that about being the first being woman. The first woman. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know if you saw it. There was a little weird – there was a weird moment in the middle where they took a break after a commercial and Hillary had left the stage and – apparently had gone to the restroom and it took her a while to get back. And she even commented that he, sometimes it takes a lady a little longer.
3: Oh, well, very nice, yes. But
2: I'm pretty sure she wasn't like waiting in line. It's not like you're at a jazz yeah, game. Yeah, or a... no.
3: No, I don't think so. Interesting, though, I think the millennials and what I've what I've seen in some of the polls, I think they do not like Hillary. Yeah. Um, and so I think they will be a key voting block because I think she's a little too old for them and right. they don't really care for her. But
2: she's also, I don't know if you've heard, she's a female.
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay.
2: I'm pretty. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. And she's she's playing. She plays that up. It'll also depend who the Republicans put up. Right. I mean, and that's not looking great. Do You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's it's a weird it's a weird battle because Donald Trump's winning. But Donald Trump, I think, in the end, will still struggle yeah, against I think the Hillary Clinton losing losing yeah. momentum, mm-hmm. which is weird because, you know, he owns half of Vegas.
3: Yeah. And she did, she did. I think her first stop when she got to Vegas, yeah. she went right in front of the a Trump building that uh, people were protesting. And so. he's like,
2: that's great, because, you know, it was great advertisement for Trump. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's just crazy. Isn't anyway, fun? good stuff. Let's go, Kathy, to the headlines. Find out what's going on in the rest of the world.
3: Well, as we were talking about last night at the first Democratic debate, Hillary Clinton got most of the airtime with just over 28 minutes. She talked about being a progressive, her stance against the NRA, and why she wants to be president. Well, I can't
4: think of anything more of an outsider than electing the first woman president, but I'm not just running because I would be the first woman president. I'm running because I have a lifetime of experience in getting results and fighting for people, and I know what it takes to get things done. I know how to find common ground, and I know how to stand my ground.
3: Meanwhile, Bernie Sanders said America is ready to elect a democratic socialist. He also discussed his concerns about climate change and even argued with Martin O'Malley about who's tougher on gun control.
1: Senator, it was not about rural and urban. Have you ever been to the eastern shore? Have you ever been to western Maryland? We were able to pass this and still respect the hunting traditions of people who live in our rural areas and we did it U- by leading with principle not by pandering to the NRA well, and backing voting down down to to the, the NRA voting
5: record. I And I have a an asked I don't think NRA's I am pandering but you have not been in the United States Congress well, maybe and that's when you a want healthy to thing. check it out <laughs> and if you think if you think that we can simply go forward and pass something tomorrow without bringing people together. You are surely Let me bring mistaken. In somebody.
3: Gun control was the hot topic, followed by the conflict with Russia as well as immigration. GOP contender Mike Huckabee sent out a tweet during the debate last night that's causing a bit of a stir. The tweet said, I trust Bernie Sanders with my tax dollars like I trust a North Korean chef with my Labrador. By the way, according to the latest Fox News poll, Huckabee is polling at 5 percent along with Carly Fiorina. From that same poll, Ben Carson is now just one point behind Donald Trump. Carson, whose poll numbers have nearly doubled in the last two months, is at 23 percent. Trump is at 24. Ted Cruz is in third place with 10% of the vote. Marco Rubio is next at 9%. A Wisconsin gun store has been ordered to pay nearly $6 million to two Milwaukee police officers who were shot in the face back in 2009. Jurors ruled the store was negligent in selling a gun to what they call a straw buyer, someone buying a gun for another person who cannot legally purchase one on their own. Julius Burton paid Jacob Collins $40 to buy the firearm. Burton is serving 80 years in prison for attempted homicide.
11: If some gun dealers around the country realize that they may have their feet held to the fire because of the Punitive Damage Award here, then that's a bonus. One verdict in Milwaukee is uh, certainly a good step. Is it going to change the way things are done around the country? Time will tell.
3: That was Officer Patrick Dunphy's attorney. Collins, by the way, got two years in prison for making the purchase. Planned Parenthood announced it will keep the programs at some of its clinics that make fetal tissue available for research, but will no longer accept payment for the tissue. This coming-after undercover video sparked outrage across the country. Pro-life activists who released the video have said Planned Parenthood sought profits from, from providing aborted fetal tissue to researchers. Former Los Angeles Lakers forward Lamar Odom is in a Las Vegas hospital reportedly fighting for his life. Odom was found unconscious yesterday at a, at a Nevada brothel and was taken to the hospital. A school system in Connecticut has reversed its decision to cancel Halloween parades after an outcry from parents. The schools in Milford, Connecticut, had canceled the parade, saying some children may feel excluded due to religious or cultural reasons. A Texas school district has reversed a decision of a different kind. Two girls at Aubrey Middle School wore jackets with large Air Force logos, and the principal... Threatened punishment if they didn't remove the jackets. Apparently, the logos were bigger than the dress code allows, but the school reversed the decision and will now allow larger military logos on clothing. And a Domino's driver was recently left in tears after getting a tip she never expected. A woman named Natasha delivered a pizza of worth $5.99 mm. to the Sycamore Creek Church in a suburb of Columbus, Ohio. Reverend Steve Markle called the woman to the front of the church to give her the tip.
2: Yeah. Right?
3: Yeah. $1,046.
2: You're kidding. A $5 the, pizza. Yeah, nets. for a
3: congregation. I'm assuming there weren't a whole lot of people with one pizza. But anyway, the congregation <laughs> had just wrapped up a sermon on random acts of kindness. Apparently, Natasha was short of money for her rent this month. So, hey. Small miracle, wouldn't you say? How cool. Isn't that great? Like, I love stories like that.
2: And so the pastor's like, okay, random acts of kindness. Let's order a pizza.
3: Yep. And then let's, in let's front
2: of everybody, money. you you all throw your money in the plate. Yep. And she walks in, has no idea. Can you imagine?
3: Can you $1,046 for a five ninety nine pizza?
2: I got your pizza here.
3: And she was low on rent money. Oh, I mean, come on. That's that a miracle, so right? Cool.
2: She broke down crying. She did. She?
3: she was just sobbing. Isn't I love that, that cool? story. Yes, and
2: really, that's one pastor, one congregation, one life. Now it, it's Changed. over. She's used her money. She right. paid her bills. Right. But now you're everyone out there's listening and hearing this. They thing.
3: know the story, and maybe today they can pay for somebody behind him in the in the uh, oh, fast food so line. Cool. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's how it works. Pay I it hope forward. the
2: person in front of me does it.
3: Where are you going to go? I don't know. You got to get something really big, but you have to know that they're going to do it. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. My son, I told him I was going to buy something for. He and his friend in the car, right? So they're right behind me. I go, hey, I'm just buying this for my son. They're right behind me. So I pay for it and I leave and he leaves too and comes home and he goes, mom, where's the food? I said, didn't you get it? He said, no, I thought you got it. He said, no, I'm only paying for it. So, yeah, I paid for this food. and They left.
2: Random acts of kindness yeah, gone there wrong. it
3: was. Totally shot. Busted. Thank you so much. Hello, the Thanks, food was McDonald's. yours, not mine. <laughs> yeah, I think my son. Yeah, oh, hello. that is so classic. I didn't teach him very well, I guess.
2: Well, you did. You did. See, and you're, that's a perfect segue, by the way, Kathy, into oh, the good. next guest. Uh, Scott Wilhite is going to be joining us in just a few moments. He is the, um, the creator of a new app called Feed Your Happy. And what he basically found is that happiness is a choice. It's also a skill. So he figured out, you know what, we need an app that keeps it in top of mind so that we're constantly working on the skills, the positive psychology tools we need to be happy. And the app, uh, very um, perfectly, I think, named, appropriately named um, Feed Your Happy – feed your happy folks. So joining us in just a few minutes, Scott Wilhite will be here to teach us all about happiness and the app that can lead you there. Stick with us, folks. We're going to make you happy one way or another. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back, everybody, to The Matt Townsend Show. You know, do you remember that part of the Constitution that talks about our unalienable rights, the rights to life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness? Have you ever wondered how you're supposed to go about pursuing happiness? Should that just be automatic? Is it just, you know, life should hand you happiness, or should it be the the Democratic debate last night should have just, you know, automatically brought you the happiness you need? In the end... um, the pursuit of happiness it's it seems like it's a difficult thing to go after except there is a ton of great research in the positive psychology area in psychology that uh, has extensively researched uh, happiness and there's more science to it than you'd ever believe so what if we knew a way to actually capture all of that research into one app that could prompt you that could you know uh Get you to be mindful and pay attention to what you need to pay attention to. Archive your gratitude. Put it all in one place. Even, you know, set a little reminder that goes off for you regularly to, to start doing some happiness activity. And it could all be in the palm of your hand. Well, guess what? We have the guest that's put it all together. His name is Scott Wilhite, and he's put together the Feed Your Happy app. Scott, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show.
11: Well, thank you, Matt. I appreciate you letting me on.
2: You bet. Great to be here. Now, Scott, here's the weird thing. You're a filmmaker yeah. <laughs> turned app designer, which yeah. is so weird. I mean, filmmakers totally stay in film, and you're award-winning. Yeah. You've I won did. a ton of awards, but how did you get into the app business?
11: Well, uh, by pure accident. Um, it, it turns out I'm a recovering grumpaholic. Are you? Are you? <laughs> I am. Uh, I, I'm a filmmaker. I'm a writer, a producer, and a, and a director. And uh, Anyway, one of the things about being a producer is that you're always – concentrating on problems. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you you know, you work with producers all the time. My producers
2: are nut jobs. (laughs) They are crazy.
11: They have to plan for the worst and and hope for the best. But you have to expect, Okay, what can possibly go wrong and then have plan B and C and everything in in place. And so I was always focused on on the negative.
2: Yeah. What could possibly go wrong here?
11: Yeah, exactly. Well, last year, a friend of mine handed me a book on positive psychology, and my life was temporarily changed forever. Yeah,
2: that's awesome. <laughs> you know,
11: I, I started to realize I could focus on what was going right in my life. I could uh, um, begin to, uh, you know, instead of obsessing what I felt like I was missing, I could realize what I had. I got rid of stress, anxiety, and worry. Um, instead of like... Having those endings where terrible things happen that I worry about, I could envision positive things happen oh that 's great, and I could anticipate good things happening, and as I would look for them during the day, I would find them i 'd see more of them and and it anyway it changed me yeah. temporarily. What and, book did
2: you read, just out of my curiosity?
11: You know, the first one that I read was Sean Acor's, uh "The Happiness Advantage." Uh-huh. It's a really good book; very easy to read. He comes out of Harvard, yeah. um, but is uh, just very um, conversational in yeah. his style. And, and that was what really uh, you know. Well, first and a, lo- a lot of people may
2: it. not know. Um, so forever in study of psychology, it was always about abnormal psychology. Yeah. So what's wrong with we'd here? study about the broken people. And we're like, yeah, that's broken. But then they realized if you just study the opposite, which is what when people feel happy and healthy, let's go find out what they're doing. Let's go find out what the happy people are doing. And exactly. let's start just replicating that and studying that. And that changed the entire movement of psychology. It did. And
11: what they found, which is really amazing, and this was the thing that blew my mind, was that happiness is a skill. Yeah. You know, the people that were Abnormally <laughs> yeah, happy, happy, you know. Those they had certain skills, certain traits that came up over and over again, such as gratitude. You know, uh, I mean, I always thought gratitude is a good thing. Sure, but the people that uh, that were really grateful. I mean, you can't be. Uh, you can't be grateful and unhappy any more than you can be positive and negative at the same time. That's right. You have to make a choice. You can't, your brain
2: has to choose one. Yeah.
11: And so as you understand it's a choice, and as you start to make those choices, it becomes a skill. And the more that you work on that skill, you can activate your happiness whenever
2: you want. So you went from, from being a grumpaholic <laughs> and an overstressed. I'm still a recovering yeah. one. I, I'm, uh, you know, That's good. Uh, you, I'm yeah, everyone on deserves it. to be a little grumpy. But you went from that to reading some books to thinking I got to get this in my life and then what? Well, that's kind
11: of what happened is I, is I discovered these positive psychology books and, uh, and they were great for a while except that I started drifting back into my old negative yeah. ways of thinking. You know, years of thinking like that just makes my brain elastic and goes back into that. And so what I, what I figured out was I needed some sort of system. I needed a systemized approach so that I could work on it all the time and have these skills continually, you know, with me. And so that's where I came up with the idea of the Feed Your Happy app, to where you would have um, activities and reminders and a whole system to help you work on it, mentally condition yourself, basically. That's great.
2: Uh, are, you at, are you, did you write the app? Are you an app designer? Did you hire it out? What did you do there?
11: You know, I'm not an app designer. Um, I created the concept, and then uh, you'll love this. Uh, I ran into two BYU guys. Uh, yeah. They're cu- current students at, B- at Brigham Young University here. And uh, and I showed them, you know, my concept. I'd done a wireframe. And I said, could you do this? And they looked at, oh, yeah. And uh, and they took it and they bumped it up like four levels. Isn't that and awesome? And they totally gamified it. They added all these really fun things so that the more you do, the more points you earn. And they just thought through the whole system, mm. uh, the whole user experience, so that people would be really engaged in continually working on these things and feel rewarded and and continue uh, to work on their you know, on their happiness level, and, and
2: the neat thing I think about an app. Ever since I got um, an Apple Watch, I mean it. It's annoyingly present, yeah, in my life, and it's telling me what I need to do, kind of when I need to do it. Now it's time to move your body. Like it usually in the middle of the show, about every hour is like, stand up, Tubby. <laughs> Mine actually says that yeah. it's kind of rude that way, but um, we so having that, th- th- no, I totally should having something that pings me takes me back to my mind. My mindfulness can then pre- be present on my need to to do something so physically we all get it it's just we haven't thought of it psychologically have we
11: yeah and putting it into practice yeah like and you said getting that's, it happening yeah you create a system totally. you know we always say why is the grass greener on the other side well the other guy has automatic sprinklers right you that's know whenever right. you have an automated system it's going to work much better for you
2: it's so interesting um and, and in there, we'll, we'll come back and talk about it, but th- there's games that make it interesting. and I, It seems like there's uh, research. There's videos because you're a videographer. You're a filmmaker. Talk about the videos.
11: OK. Um, the, re- the videos actually come as a reward. And so uh, throughout the app, there are a lot of activities that you, that you get to do. And when you accomplish those, it unlocks more levels and it unlocks more content. One of which uh, you know, are these rewards, such as these short films. Yeah. Uh, the very first short film is one called um, Falling Up, and it's the true story of Meg Johnson. You ought to have her on your show. Yeah, we should. She is amazing. Um, she, uh, uh, <laughs> she accidentally jumped off a 40-foot cliff and oh. became paralyzed, and it tells her story, um, and it's actually her starring in the film, but just an amazing woman and how she found happiness and how it has transformed her. But anyway, yeah, in, in the app you get rewards such as films and other content. that uh, That's great, and that it keeps you going. You. Yeah, totally. Oh,
2: that's cool stuff. Okay, let's do this. We'll take a break. We're speaking with Scott uh, Wilhite, and uh, he's the creator of Feed Your Happy app, um, and uh, the app is in the process of being approved through iTunes. It was; uh, It's due to be out probably in the next day or two. So all, you got, all they got to do is go to iTunes and, and look up Feed the Happy, and it'll be there, right, Feed Scott? Your Feed your happy, and, um, and it'll be there. We'll take a break, come back, continue this discussion about happiness, about positive psychology, and about the app, Feed Your Happy. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back trying to make you happy. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In studio with us is Scott Wilhite, who is the creator of Feed Your Happy app. It's an app that uh, you'll soon be able to get on iTunes. And it'll start there, and then it'll eventually make it to the Android world. It takes a while. you gotta, you got to, you know, do this one step at a time. But uh, what uh, Scott has done is he's taken all of the, the latest research... The greatest activities about creating a happy life, which interesting, let's be real, and we've talked about it a lot on the show, happiness, it's not just even a choice, it's actually a skill, too. There's certain behaviors, activities that uh, research shows will generate a sense of well-being and happiness, and all you got to do is incorporate those in your life and do them consistently, bada boom, bada bing, it's a combination of getting some, some happiness in there. And so Scott's put together a website, or an app, that makes it so it's gamified so you can actually have some fun uh, kind of ramping up your happiness meter.
11: Yeah, That's exactly. That's cool. uh, What you want to do is you want to get to where you have a positive mental lifestyle, you know. Yeah. You know, like you would with a physical lifestyle. Right. It takes a while. It takes conditioning and practice. And there's, you know, diet and nutrition involved in the physical side. But there's that consistency that you need in your life, too. To then be able to react in a positive way. Yeah. And one of the interesting things about positive psychology is uh, I think a lot of people get it confused with positive affirmations. Right. You know, that it's just pretending that everything's good. It's fooling your brain yeah. or something. And it's not that at all. It is it is about realizing that there are two sides. Um, but in in – with those two sides, there's the positive side. Mm -hmm. And so you recognize that they're there and you focus on the positive. Um, One really interesting lady, this is another person you ought to have come in, um, that I I did a little documentary on. Uh, She's a two-time cancer survivor. Uh, Her name's Amy and she lives up here in this valley. And uh, when she was given the diagnosis of cancer the second time, she said, oh, I can't do it the way that I did it before. That took me to such a dark place. Interesting, She said, I'm going to focus this time on being happy. That's that's my goal. I'm going to focus every day on being happy. And uh and and the choice wasn't wasn't just up at the front. It was something she had to do every single day. Yeah. And she did different things to to make her happy. She watched funny movies and she had her husband take, po- you know, photos of her and videos of her so she could talk to herself after her chemo visits, you know, and and give herself encouragement, but her whole focus was on being happy, uh, she
2: didn't scour the internet to find right. out
11: what was wrong with. Well, because know,
2: in the cancer friends. world, you'd you'd talk about your negative readings in your last study. You'd talk about how you're feeling and and the bad the bad stuff. So, positive psychology would just say, okay, we can focus all on that and try to get those negative numbers higher, or we can focus on what makes us higher anyway, yeah. and just go focus on. Like if we know being with our family makes it more positive, then we should focus our attention on being with our family, not on not having cancer. Exactly. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because it's hard to teach your brain to do a negative. To you know, your brain doesn't correlate that way. Oh. Like, don't do that.
11: Like playing football. Yeah. You know, you're playing football with your with your kid. Don't drop the ball. Don't drop. Well, do- he has to imagine himself dropping the ball
2: in order to get, and that. then then
11: envision himself not doing right. that. Yeah. You know, it just exactly. doesn't work.
2: So hold on to the ball. Yeah. Yeah, if you, we, you focus on that on that positive. On the positive. And, and I, I, I see it all the time with my clients that they're like, well, yeah, I'm not, it's not just about being happy. This is a, some serious stuff. Well, sure. So you've got a horrible communication problem in your marriage. So we can uh-huh. go talk about 30 different ways that you guys are messed up Yeah, and, and talk about how you can't communicate. And we can do that for a few sessions. Or you could tell me what it would look like if you no longer had a communication problem. So let's talk about what it would look like. How would you communicate if you were communicating incredibly well? What would that look like? Well, we wouldn't do this. OK, don't tell me what we wouldn't do. What would yeah. we do? And once you can get their mind around what we would be doing and they, they can immediately describe it. So you already know how to fix it by just getting to what it would look like. And all of a sudden – they have their own answers. So it, and the cool thing about positive psychology is the people are going to come up with their own answers on your app. Uh-huh. You're going to just teach them the theory. Yeah. And give then them the system. Give them the system. And, and then the activities they do will drive them to the answers. Exactly. That's cool.
11: Yeah. It is so fun. It's It's changed me and it helps me. Well, all you're a happy time. guy now. Well, <laughs> you used to well, be a bear, I, apparently. Yeah, I guess I, I. You know, I'm I'm a recovering grumpaholic. Yeah. I, I use this app all the time, and uh, and have been surprised at how it energizes me and, and helps me focus on the oh, right yeah. stuff.
2: You in the app, it's uh, it talks um, about seven core happiness skills. Yeah. What run through those those core skills with us, so out, everyone out there in listener land can be getting prepped to when before they download your app.
11: Okay, uh, yeah, um I'll run through them real quick. Uh, the first skill and the main one if you if you if you work on no other skill, this is the one that will change you. It's about being grateful, and you can google. Gratitude, science, and happiness, and you'll get tons of studies and research oh, that will totally. help you with that. Um, the, the second one is savor the now, helping to really relish what you have in your life going on, that it's good right now. Because
2: a lot of us spend too much time in the past, right, and the future. Oh, what about or tomorrow? Worrying. Tomorrow yeah. will be better. Yeah,
11: Yeah. exactly. Right. Um, and you can use the past and the and the future in anticipation and memories to help enjoy what you have right now. Yeah. But it's about – Really savoring, getting the most out of what you have right now. Mm-hmm. Um, the third skill is to lift someone else, the service component. And boy, there's some amazing research out there about people who volunteer and how they live longer and happier, more fulfilling lives. Uh, fourth skill is don't worry. This is about uh, getting rid of that negative energy, You know, kind of detoxing yeah. from stress, anxiety, and worry. Uh, the skill five is fostering relationships.
2: Um, boy, relationships are such a key to happiness. They are, and, uh, and they're also a key to unhappiness, exactly. right? dissatisfaction, if you're not working on them. Exactly. They're gonna They're gonna grow better or worse if you don't take care of them. It's like your yard.
11: And 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 it's such an organic process. It's something you need to be uh, doing all the time, which actually leads to skill number six, which is improve daily you know to always be improving always be working on something and the last one is begin again is that you take uh you take everything that you're doing and you can revitalize it by mm. looking at it from a new point of view or trying again or trying a new uh new approach to it so well
2: and cuz I mean, you can almost see every one of those every one of us have an inverse or or an opposite of this right so when we're not grateful then we're i guess selfish and grumpy and feel picked on and or when we're not savoring the now, we're worried about the past. and We're not lifting someone else. We're kind of working on ourselves. That's the selfishness, I guess. But in the app, you, you're you not going to just sit there and tell them something. You're going to actually have them act- actively
11: participate. Totally. It's participation. So we have a, a kind of a three-pronged methodology. The first part is education. That's where people understand the science yeah. behind this. Uh, The the second part is that people will do an activity deliberately consciously. They choose to do this, to participate. And then the third thing is that we have them do a mindfulness exercise where they will spend a few minutes to write down what they just did, what their experience was, how they felt. What they recognized, and and so they are they are concentrating and focusing on something that they did on purpose. They yeah. are living with intention, and all of this is with the with the very focused um, result of, of of feeding their happy. Yeah, uh, you know, doing something that's going to energize them, and and it's so effective. It's amazing on how when people follow those things, and you can do them yourselves. You don't need the app at all. Um, the app just gives you a system.
2: Well, and that's the thing. I mean, I think we talked about yesterday. I can't remember the percentage, but it's like 5 percent of the apps on your phone. Do we even use Uh consistently? But if there's one app you're going to use, I mean, most of us use our fitness apps a little bit more, maybe um, if you're counting your steps or whatever. But if you're going to use an app, it seems like the happiness app would be a good one. Yeah. to To kind of become addicted to
11: well, if you think about every choice that you make in life if and and if you just play like a little kid, okay why you know why'd you do that why'd mm-hmm. you buy that car why'd you you know why'd you dress that way or something when you get down to it it's well because I thought it would make me happy, yeah, you know that's the underlying reason that's for right. everything, so let's focus on that first, oh yeah, let's talk about happiness, let's make sure that we're happy, and then everything else comes out of that the the social scientists call it flourishing it's when you find success in in all aspects of life wow and do, do you
2: sense that um, can we can we use this in the business world I mean it seems like this is a personal development tool but how how could this be used or these same principles be used at work could this app help me as a boss
11: you know thank you for asking that that's really interesting when I was developing it I thought who would want this most, um, other than, you know, my wife wants me to be happy. Yeah, she's like, you need this bad. <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> um, but no, you know, uh, employers. Um, and so we are talking to company wellness programs and company HR directors. You know, for me, it was such a, a you know, it blew my brain away to realize happiness was a skill. Well, if we can help people understand it's a skill, understand, you know, it's actually a set of skills and how to work on those and then give them a routine and, and, and a way to, to work on that. The app basically becomes a, a mental and emotional
2: wellness tracker. Oh, yeah. It's like seven habits meets the Fitbit. Right. You know. it's like that, that's a, In fact, that's a great example of it, right? Because that was a system. And they use time management tools in the seven habits and yet um, now it's – take the Fitbit skill set where you can track what's going oh, on and it. start That's finding your, where you're flourishing or where you're in flow. I mean there's some cool – the funny thing about it is the research is just barely taking off. It's, it's Positive psychology has really only been in – in vogue 1999 like the, 99 is when it started to kick in and it's been in vogue vogue like only the last 10 years mindfulness is one of the most popular topics out there when you're searching everybody's into meditating and talking about meditating and yoga and zen uh-huh. and so if, if you hear anything like that that really is positive psychology it's what you're talking about here yeah yeah. Now you're just saying there's a system.
11: There's a system. Yeah, and this is so simple. It's so easy to do, and uh, and it's it's you know for regular everyday people, mm-hmm. and it's amazing how you can find the happiness within you, and that you just work on it each, each day, and uh, and then you're in control. You know, you have. Uh, control over where your emotions go, uh, your mental state. yeah, and, and the best thing is that you are looking for and anticipating good things to happen to you, and they happen.
1: is that weird? And maybe
11: it's <laughs> not that they weren't going to happen. I mean, I'm not really sure, but you're looking for them, and yeah. then you recognize them and you appreciate them, and they just snowball and, and help and you spiral And you notice more up. and
2: more and more, yeah. Totally. And right. then that's flourishing, right? That's flourishing. And Chick sent me high, called it um, flow. Uh-huh. The psychology of optimal experience. And once you kind of get in flow, you, you're, you're, you're functioning at your highest self, right? Then all of a sudden, your best self can come out and start being a part of being a parent or being a part of your job. All of a sudden, you're in sync. You feel like you're finally doing what you should be doing, where you should be.
11: Exactly. You know, we for so long we've looked at success, and we thought success is monetary. Yeah. You know, if and if you work hard, then you'll be wealthy, and then you'll be successful, and that's not really Mm. true. But if you are happy, then you will work hard, and you will find success in all aspects of life, which is flourishing. You know, I mean, you you know a lot of people who are really successful. You know, air quotes here. Right. uh, Um, monetarily, but maybe their relationships aren't aren't doing so great. And so they are miserable because they're missing such an important component of that. And so if they can learn to be happy first, and so much of happiness is is finding meaning and purpose in your life, which means connecting with others. Oh, yeah. Uh, and once you start to have that, then you start to, you know, flourish in all aspects. And, and, and it just kind of just like it snowballs. It's really amazing.
2: And you've heard the research in the positive psychology field that happiness, it only correlates to money to a point, right? Mm-hmm. Like 70 grand, $65,000. And after that, there's not a correlation. More money doesn't make you happier. That's right. I mean, you need your base needs taken care of. But everyone out there in listener land probably has had their base needs taken care of. And now they still have to go to a job they don't like. Yeah. And they notice how bad they don't like it because they're not grateful. And they are wondering what they're going to do this weekend. Uh-huh. And so then you get in these habits, and the habits slowly just make yeah. your job more miserable. You're
11: living out of a habit rather than mm-hmm. out of intention.
2: But you need your $75,000 to make ends meet, right? So yeah. then you'd start digging your own hole. Yeah. Oh, well, this is cool. And so it'll be launched. Um, people can go find it on iTunes. On iTunes. And it'll be up in the next couple of days. So just keep looking for it. The app is called Feed Your Happy. Yep. That's it. Feed your happy. Feed
11: your happy. You have to. You know, I feed myself every day.
2: Oh yeah, <laughs> and, and and then they can get on. It's free, and then if they want, they can go buy uh, more and more tools and and skill sets uh-huh. to exactly. kind of amp it up a bit. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh man, it's a great idea. And again, you just you just saw the need. That's it, kind of weird. <laughs> I mean, normally we'd see somebody that you know just this is just another business entity that we're going to just try to make money on happiness, but. You saw that it's a skill and we can learn it, so this needs to be done.
11: Well, I needed it personally. Right. And uh, the way that it's changed me and, and what I've seen at helping other people is, you know.
2: Well, your reason. wife called and she said <laughs> she said it's worth it. He was a monster. <laughs> yeah, and she, now I was kind he's... of an ogre. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're great. Great to have you on the show. Scott Wilhite. Well, thank you, Matt. Best of luck with the app, and uh, I'm sure it'll just keep growing and growing, and we'll have you back. For, uh, you know, Feed Your Happy Mega Dose, there which will go. be your new app. You I just gave you that. You can have that. Oh. Good job. Scott height Again, go find it. By the way, you can also go to the website ncourage, the letter n, courage, dot life, and you can go check out everything about the app, learn about it. Great stuff. Encourage.life. That's the website. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back friends to the Matt Townsend Show What a cool topic Oh I don't know It's just a bunch of people trying to be happy Oh look at me I'm
5: making people happy I'm the magical man From Happy Land In a
2: gumdrop house on Lollipop Lake <laughs> Why are people so cynical About happiness Even Homer Wants to make people happy Anyway, you want to be happy, don't you? Here's the, here's the latest and greatest. There's a study that's out. It says that most people feel unhappiest at 11.17 a.m. On, Excellent. <laughs> on Mondays. At 11.17, that is the worst time of the week. On Monday, a new study out of England shows that there is an exact time each week that people feel unhappiest. According to an online article by Daily Mail, most people are most miserable at 11.17 a.m. on a Monday morning. The study by Plusnet says that only a quarter of those polled feel good by before midday on Mondays. So that's sad. Only 25% of people feel good about their life, their day, by noon on Mondays. The numbers also show that um, – that most people have cheered up by about 2:35. So there's something about probably the lunch break that really makes people happier. So by 2:35 on Monday afternoon, people seem to be a little happier. The same study reports that 9 out of 10 people say it only takes a small thing to improve your day, including things like finding a bargain at a store, getting a compliment from a stranger, or hearing your favorite song on the radio. Isn't that cool? Ben, what, what makes you so happy every day? Like, I mean, when like, when we walk in, I can, I see you light right up. Like when we walk in to do the show, you're like, hey, and you're just all happy then.
10: It's because I listen to my favorite music. What do you mean? I listen to my favorite music every day. During the show? No, on my way to, oh, to work. You? Yeah. So
2: your music pumps you up. It's not us walking in. It's not when we walk in that you're yeah, happy.
10: it's it's not your face.
2: It's not. Nah, no, sorry. Is it my voice?
10: Um, is sure. It, is it yes. my physique? <laughs> Your godlike physique.
2: Why are you laughing?
10: I'm not laughing.
2: It seems like you're kind of putting a damper on the happiness topic. I'm happier. Oh yeah. Yeah. Are you, like so? Ma- yeah. Okay. Like making me feel bad makes you happier.
10: Oh, I didn't know you were feeling bad.
2: Hey, when I walked in today, I'm pretty sure this was you. You wrote this note to me. Somebody wrote, and you say it wasn't you, but it it looks like your handwriting. Because it's, none of the words are spelled right. It says, you are amazing. Thanks for doing your job. Random visitor.
10: Am I a random visitor?
2: Well, you are random. And you visit things. Isn't that weird? So if you just write somebody a little thank you note. It can make their day. Just a little thank you here or there, a compliment from a stranger, just hearing your favorite song on the radio, like Ben was talking about. All those things can make you happier. So there is a science to this, and you don't need to get crazy about it. But do you want to make happiness a goal in your life or not? Or do you just want to have something to complain about? I'm so miserable. I'm so busy. I'm so tired of thinking about how busy I am that I wonder if I fill that same time up with an app that focuses on my happiness. I wonder if I'd be more happy. I'm pretty sure I would. Also, maybe you need to turn off some of your other apps. There are certain apps that the minute I push the button, I immediately feel my heart rate go up. There's certain buttons. One of them is obviously the fitness button. But another one is just news sites. So if you're a news junkie, if you're a political junkie, this is the, your time of life, right? All of these, these debates and everything, it might get you totally messed up. So maybe what you ought to do, do a little sabbatical. Go take a break from one of your news, store, news sources that feed you your news. Just go delete that app off your phone for a month. See if you're happier. See if you end up using some other app. I have – I at one point was addicted to Deer Hunter 2014. Uh, I now am becoming addicted to Deer Hunter 2016. And I do that because I don't want to kill animals. Thank you. But every time I go play it, I have guilt. Okay, That's enough of that. Man, Ben, happy with the buttons. So – I took it off my phone. No more deer hunter. 2014, 2016, 2015. No more. Not doing it anymore. Pretty simple. There's an app now. And more importantly, just use your brain. People, we can be happy just by focusing our attention on it. It's a trap. Yes, it is. It's the happy trap. We'll take a break, folks. That's the second hour of the Matt Townsend Show. One more coming up in just a minute. Give us a few minutes. We'll be back. More tools, more ideas right here. Your guide on the side. We do what we can on this program, folks, to guide you, uh, give you the tools that you need to live a healthier life. Man, heaven forbid. You know, you always hear the news, you hear the stories, but a lot of times you don't know what you're supposed to do about it. Right? We tell you all the time, you got to be a better parent. Parenting's important. But do you feel like you know what you're doing? Did you know that children under the age of eight need a different approach, maybe, than those over the age of eight? Do you even know what that approach should be? How do you guide a child under the age of eight? How do you correct a behavior? How What should you do to correct and focus on a behavior? Do you tell them, you know, quit running? Quit running around! Well, we're going to be talking to some child and family um experts, behavior experts for the preschool kids, and they're going to give us just the the tried-and-tested, research-based, healthiest way to help your child learn character. And a preschool teacher of 25, 26-plus years, and the director of BYU Preschool and Kindergarten since 1998— they're both going to be joining us in just a few moments to uh, to help us with your parenting needs and skills, and in honor of the skills of the kindergartners, let's now talk about the debate for a minute.
3: <laughs> That's a good segue. Did good you like to... the debate? Yeah, that was perfect. Segue. Yeah,
2: it was an interesting night. Yeah, it was, and it reminded me of the, there were two points in there that I think were were really funny. I mean, I, I think everyone's trying to please. Please, Hillary. Mm-hmm. They want her happy. Yep, because she's going to be the boss, mm-hmm. and they would like Don't a job. Don't make Hillary mad. Yeah. So there's two lines. There's there's one that somebody I think it was uh, um, what's his bucket Martin O'Malley from Baltimore mm-hmm. stuck a little jab in there on Hillary about her her trustworthiness. So let's listen to uh, let's listen to um, Hillary's response about her trustworthiness
1: i think we need someone that has the best in ethical standards as our next president that's how i feel secretary clinton do you want to
7: respond no governor governor
2: no i don't next next question please
3: (laughs) it's funny how everybody thought that was great yeah don't don't say anything Woohoo. isn't that interesting yeah
2: like why would you not want to respond to
3: that well
2: that's
1: a clown question bro
3: Clown question, yeah, bro.
2: That's a, Harry Reid. That's he
3: stalled out, by the way.
2: That's a clown question, bro. Um, and then also we've got another one we've got to look at, which um, this is the one that I guess got the most attention. This is what they call the gift. This is Bernie Sanders taking Hillary off the hook for her email scandal.
5: The American people are sick and tired of hearing about your damn emails. Thank you. Me too.
2: Me too. They're sick and tired of it. And she's sitting there saying, me too, me too. Do not bring up my emails. Do not bring up my emails. Anyway, it looks like they they basically bailed her out. And as I was watching this, I had a song that came to my mind that reminded me of a Christmas song. And we played it last hour about this island. Mm -hmm. Do you remember the island of misfit toys?
3: One of
9: my favorites. How would you like to
5: be a bird that doesn't fly? I swim. Or a cowboy who rides. An ostrich. Or a b- b- boat that can't stay
3: afloat. A- a- We're all misfits. <laughs> Love that as a child. No,
2: they're not misfits, but they don't seem to fit in there. Okay. Like Chafee doesn't seem to be in the same league as Hillary.
3: No. Right? Not at all.
2: And Webb doesn't seem to be in the same league. He was fighting Mm -hmm. for time and about time the entire show. He was like, hey, when do I get some time here?
3: Yeah, just the two. It's just the two, Hillary and Sanders.
2: And so the others were just from the island of misfit toys. (laughs) The island of misfit (laughs) politicians. feel very good. But it will fill the great cabinet Mm
3: -hmm.
2: someday. Yes. For good old Hillary. Anyway, it was an interesting debate. And, uh, you know, it's all turning into a weird clown show, really. From Democrats to Republicans, this is getting weird. So we'll see what happens. Um, Just, you know, buckle your belt. Hold on. Only one more year to go. Yep. Remain seated, please. And uh, (laughs) keep your hands in the ride at all times. We're in for a big ride. Anyway, Kathy, let's go to the headlines, find out what's going on around the world.
3: Good morning, everyone. One down and five to go. The Democrats wrapping up their first debate last night in Las Vegas. Frontrunner Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders sparred on guns, foreign policy, and the economy. Hillary said she's a progressive that likes to get things done and spoke about her political identity.
4: I think that, uh, like most people that I know, I have a range of views, but they are rooted in my values and my experience. And... I don't take a backseat to anyone when it comes to progressive uh, experience and progressive commitment.
3: Clinton got most of the airtime last night, followed by Sanders. Sanders said America is ready to vote for a Democratic Socialist and spoke about his concerns with Wall Street.
5: In my view, Secretary Clinton, you do not, Congress does not regulate Wall Street. Wall Street regulates Congress, and we have got to break off these banks.
3: Sanders' campaign reports this morning they raised $1.3 million after his debate performance, thanks to over 37,000 individual donations. There were three others on the stage last night. Martin O'Malley said he wants to move to a 100% clean electric grid by 2050. Lincoln Chafee criticized Hillary for her vote on the Iraq war.
1: And you're looking at someone that made that poor decision in 2002 to go into Iraq, when there was no real evidence of weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. I know, because I did my homework, and so that's an indication of how someone will perform in the future, and that's what's important.
3: The fifth candidate, Jim Webb, said due to his military background, he would make the best commander-in-chief. According to the most recent Fox News poll, Donald Trump is in a bit of trouble. Trump still leads all Republican contenders at 24 percent, but Ben Carson has nearly doubled his numbers in the last two months and is just one point behind at 23 percent. Ted Cruz is the only other one in double digits with 10 percent. Marco Rubio comes in fourth at 9 percent, followed by Jeb Bush at 8 Former NBA player Lamar Odom is reportedly fighting for his life this morning. Odom was found unconscious at a Nevada brothel yesterday afternoon and taken to a Las, Va- Las Vegas hospital. Odom won two championships with the Los Angeles Lakers. For the first time in team history, the Chicago Cubs clinched a postseason series at home last night. And the 0-2.
5: Swag and a miss! celebration right near home plate the Cubs are in the National League Championship
3: Series that's the play-by-play courtesy of TBS. The Cubs beat St. Louis 6-4, to making it to the National League Championship Series for the first time in 12 years. The Cubs are waiting the winner of the Mets-Dodgers series, which is tied at two games apiece after the Dodgers won last night 3-1. to Two games on the schedule today. Texas at Toronto and Houston is in Kansas City. Both winners tonight move on to the American League Championship Series. A school system in Connecticut has reversed its decision to cancel Halloween parades after an outcry from parents. The schools in Milford, Connecticut, had canceled the parades, saying some children may feel excluded due to religious or cultural reasons. And Matt, yesterday we told you the story of the New York woman suing her nephew for $127,000. So four years ago, the then eight-year-old boy jumped into his aunt's arms when she arrived at his birthday party. She fell and broke her wrist, so she was suing for damages due to the injury. Well, yesterday... The six-member jury deliberated 25 minutes ruling against Jennifer Connell and Yay. in the boys' favor. This morning, the woman's attorney said, thank you very much, the case was only about getting medical bills paid by the homeowner's insurance. But, you know, it just didn't make her look real good. No. Especially when you say, you know, I'm having trouble holding my, holding my hors d'oeuvre plate, so I need $127,000 in damages.
2: Yeah. She, it means she's not a professional tennis player. Exactly. And it wasn't a ninja. <laughs> It was just her little nephew. I was just
3: jumping to give her a hug. It was crazy.
2: I told you not to give me loves. (laughs) Now you've broken my arm.
3: Yeah. Four years later. (sighs) <sighs> Summoning for $127,000. did not say on there if she had to pay attorney's fee. I hope she does. I hope she has to pay for everything. That was crazy.
2: I think it was, there was more to it. Like they were trying to get the money and everyone's like, wink, wink. We'll yeah. sue you. Yeah, yeah but we'll yeah. split the money. Maybe
3: so. Could be. You never know. Yeah, some of these frivolous lawsuits, you know, they just clog up the whole they system. They clog it up. You know, knock it off.
2: I mean, hey, sure. Have someone else hold your appetizer plate. <laughs> Man alive. That's why you just need like a corn dog. You just don't even need a plate. Just carry it around on a stick. Hey, we're going to take a break, folks. When we come back, we've got some great guests that will be joining us here from Brigham Young University. And uh, they're here to teach us about your preschool, your younger kids. Maybe they would have made it so that kid didn't jump up on her aunt break her arm. But really, they're here to help us understand more about character and how to grow character with our children simply by how we interact with them how we get them to focus on what's important, how we set clear expectations, some pretty powerful tools to help you uh, guide your younger children um, just through life. Stick with us, folks. Getting the tools from the pros right here on The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, honored to have our next two guests. Dori Haas is joining us, and Anne Yur. Dori has been an educator for 26 years. Holy cow. And an aunt of, of extreme talent and ability. She has, um, uh, including her as a great aunt duty, she has 85 nieces and nephews. 39 nephews. Is that right?
9: Well, there's 39 of the regular variety, and then there's 85 of the great variety. That is so, crazy, kind of crazy.
2: Anyway, that's good to have you here, at Dory, and also joining us is Anne. You're Thanks. Anne has been the director of BYU's preschool and kindergarten program. I'm not you're not the you're not the director of preschool.
6: Yeah.
2: Are I you am. really? Uh-huh. Are you really? Yeah. It took you this long, Anne, to get that high up in the preschool. Yes. Okay.
0: I started early.
2: But this is a program at BYU where they have kindergarten and preschools and people bring their kids in and then you all just evaluate them. Work we them, study. Them. Them. Oh, we sorry. You teach them. You teach them. Yes. But this is why I wanted you guys because I now I my youngest now is 10. Almost 11. I got to get that straight cuz he's listening. And um but a lot of times we don't know what to say. So we treat our kids, our young kids, like our preschool kids, we treat them like they're like 10-year-olds, 12-year-olds. We're kind of direct. We're abrupt. But I have a child that if you raise your voice to him, he's like a fainting goat. He'll just like drop dead right where he is and just freeze because he can't raise your voice. Don't raise your voice. You could probably touch him and move him and he wouldn't be faced. but don't. Raise your voice, so all these kids are different, and I think we think a ten-year-old is like an eight-year-old, and they're not. They're different. Teach us. What do we need to know about raising our kids? What do we need to say? Who wants to start? And you're the you're over this crazy school. Yep. Of yep. little people.
0: <clears throat> I think the first thing is you have to get to know their temperaments, right? Uh, every temperament necessitates a different interaction style. Um, I When I teach parenting, I say to my students, imagine you've invited a stranger from the Walmart parking lot to come live in your home. Oh, yeah. And that's essentially what it is. We think that because as, as a husband and a wife that we like each other and we have similar traits that that's going to be passed on to our children. And it's not. Right. They're a completely different person. So it's our job as parents to know them, like what you mentioned with your son, yeah. and see how can I res- help him and teach him in a way that's most appropriate for him, not have him meet my expectations. Interesting.
2: Yeah. We, we want them to meet our deal. Right. But, and you really need to then attentively focus on who they are. Figure out who they are. Figure out their code. Is that what you do, Dory? as a teacher for 26 years?
9: Yes. It, it's kind of amazing. And as I work with the, um, the education students in the lab school, I think that's probably our most difficult task, is to have these teachers come into the lab school and realize that we have 40 kids with different temperaments and oh. how do we meet their needs. And um, and so it's been interesting as we've started this new year, we're seven weeks into the school year right now, and we're just finally starting to figure out how they tick. So we've done lots of activities. We've done some And that's like two months. You're two months yeah. into
2: this, and now you finally have got maybe the code.
9: Right. And now we're starting to prepare lessons and activities, whereas before we prepared them just in general. This mm-hmm. is what generally happens. And now we're focusing in, for example, my student teacher is teaching a lesson today on perseverance because we have four kids who just struggle with, I can't do this. This is too hard for me. So she's developed a lesson on perseverance that she's going to teach today based on on the individual needs that we've seen. Does she teach it to the
2: whole group or just to those four?
9: No, she teaches to the whole group. And then then she can watch
2: specifically those four and maybe give special attention Right,
9: exactly.
2: That's powerful. And really that's, I guess that's the way it should always be done. But it seems like maybe in schools we just get our lesson plans ready. My wife was a school teacher. And once you get your lesson plans ready... Okay, I've got them ready. I'm not. Sometimes we may not even revisit them based on our class. We just keep pushing the same lesson plan.
9: Right, and we do. We can use. We can use lesson plans again, but we have to tweak them, right? Uh-huh. Depending on who's who's a part of what we're doing this year. Yeah, and I think that's the struggle that we have as teachers. Is it's a continual um, puzzle. Every year to try to figure out, okay, this lesson's probably not going to work this year. Mm-hmm. Or this one we need to delve into a little bit further.
2: Do you see more issues coming up in kindergarten and the preschool kids? Do you see more problems than we did ten years ago, twenty years ago? Do you see attention problems? What do you see coming up there, Ann?
0: Yeah, I think we see I think we see differences. Um, uh, more individual needs than we did before, more increase in allergies, increase in tension. Yeah issues. Um, I think the environment has changed. Uh, Technology has added a whole new component on how young we're giving children technology. Yeah. Uh, So they're not used to engaging with their hands as much in in playing. They're not used to playing with peers. uh, And So I think we are definitely seeing some. Are they all more
2: white and pasty because they're not going outside and getting sun? (laughs) (laughs) My kids all just sit there like it's sunny out. Get outside and go chase a butterfly.
0: We do send them outside every day. So we don't have that problem. But
2: I've seen where you send them and they're these really nice. It's a nice like shaded, beautiful. I used to like dehydrate every recess because it was so hard growing up. Not to not to focus on me, but I'm lucky to be alive. Um what about uh, parents do you sense that parents are as prepared as they once were
0: We do a lot of training with parents um just to talk about what are some traits or some attributes that they could be working on at home or what are some tools or tricks in of a bag for in their bag for example as situations come up so we do a lot of you know how do you help them regulate emotions how do you help them identify emotions how do you communicate yeah. to them Am I going to say something to them that I'm not going to say to my spouse? If I'm not going to be saying it to my husband, I'm not going to say it to my child. So we have to rethink how we communicate Mm -hmm. and and teach kids how to deal with social and emotional issues.
2: Well, and this is that toolkit you put together. I mean a lot of those were on the toolkit and you made the toolkit. This is how we found out about it. We just were like looking all through your site and we found – Wow, these are skills every parent needs to know. And I imagine like you, Dory, you've taught for 26 years. So you know how to talk to a preschooler. Yeah. Uh-huh. But the average Joe probably doesn't. Right. You know, the average dad just doesn't know you can't be that mean.
9: Well, not everybody's an early childhood educator, right? Right. I mean, you are an expert in your field. And so that's one of the things that we try to get the, the teachers to understand is that um, – you know part of our job is yes teaching the kids but part of my job is to educate the parents on how to be better parents yeah. as well and so just yesterday we had a parent come in and she said to me are you teaching my child how to um Back talk and, and she was joking. Of yeah. course, I've had all her kids. And so we, we were on a, a good level. And I said, let's go into the booth so we can chat. So she walks in and she t- continued to tell me the story about she was angry yesterday. And she said, you know, I'm a yeller. And I was in the car and I was frustrated. And so I'm saying, you guys, I am so upset with this. And because I'm so upset now we're late. And so all of a sudden, her four year old from the back seat said, Mom, I know how to help you. Just stop, take a deep breath, and relax, (laughs) which is what we teach the four-year-olds how to start. How awesome is that? And so she started laughing, of course. And a little bit later, she came back in, and she said, I had a moment today where I realized after five kids that I had never taught my children how to um, identify emotions. And she said, as soon as I identified that I was upset. He knew a tool because of school that he could help me.
2: Isn't that amazing? And she said that
9: was amazing to me that my four-year-old was teaching me how to be a better parent. The
2: four-year-old's walking her off the ledge.
9: Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Like,
2: Mom, you need to calm down. <laughs> First of all, it seems like you're feeling frustrated. Yeah. How yeah. beautiful, though. The yeah. child is now the father to the man.
0: Yeah. yeah. And when, they're, you know, when moms and dads are stressed and frustrated, we're speaking from our brain stem, right? Yeah, Where we totally. Fight, re- fi- fight or flight. Fight flight, right. or freeze. And that thinking brain is not there. It's not on. So we have to stop and breathe, and we teach the children that. And then once we can get back to our thinking brain, yeah. then we can better able to evaluate the situation yeah. and solve the problem.
2: How neat. And it also that says a lot about you guys that the kids are actually getting it. But it also says a lot about you guys because you have a booth apparently in your office so that you can go talk about things when no one can hear you.
9: Right. It's a booth that's right right next door to the classroom. Don't we all need so, a booth? Yeah. We yes. all need a booth. Yeah. Yes. And
2: you can send mom to the yelling booth.
9: <laughs> well, then she can
0: watch how we do it. Yeah. So she can see into the classroom. Ah, the kids don't see us uh, in there. And we can talk through and say, this is what our teachers are saying. So focus on the behaviors that you want to see them doing rather than don't run, don't yeah. talk, be quiet. You know. so, so that's it,
2: one of your first things is mm-hmm. if you're going to give guidance right? And, but, or any of this, you, you focus on what you want them to do, not what you don't want. Which is
0: our natural go-to.
2: Don't run. Quit mm-hmm. running. Holy stop, cow, stop, quit stop. talking.
0: Yeah. yeah. So and then we're mad because they, they are still running. Yeah. yeah. Or we shush them, right? Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. Or you yeah. just cover their mouth. And <laughs> right. That's just so bad. So
0: all they do is just hear, won't, won't, run. Right.
2: So what should we say? Instead of saying
9: quit walk. doing
2: this, walk. Yeah. Walk.
9: We, we use a lot um, when they sit on the carpet. You know, they're, they want to see until they're up on their knees. So we're trying to train the teachers to help them to understand the Why? behind what we're wanting them to do. Right. Yeah. So the teachers are really good at this now after seven weeks to be able to say, you know, Matt, you need to sit on your pockets so that Anne can see behind you. And as soon as they realize that, oh, Oh, there's a reason, it's not just me being at them.
2: It's not an order. It's there's 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 a logic behind Mm -hmm. it. So you're actually teaching them reasoning, like logic. And when they learn that, they'll know next time we sit on pockets. Yeah. Is that what we call it? Pockets
9: or their bum. That's bombs. good. Yeah. And, you know, we'll have some children who are very um, concrete and they're like, I don't have any pockets. on. Excuse me. I'm wearing story. a dress. <laughs> yeah. My pockets
2: are in front.
9: <laughs> so oh, then we have that conversation.
2: <laughs> what, what are some other rules when we're giving guidance? Is there anything else that we do that like I mean, it's part of it is like, how do you keep they're just exploring, right? They're just like, keep your hands off. Of her, I guess you just explain it. Yeah. Let's keep our hands to ourselves. We talk
9: about having a big voice. And so, talking to the children about if somebody's doing something that you don't like, you need to say that to them. And it helps with the bullying aspect as well. Yeah. So that I look at you and say, I don't like it when you touch me. Please don't touch me. And then all of a sudden, the eye contact that we're trying to get them to do, which is still difficult at this age, age, but we're trying to get them to look them in the eyes and say, I don't like it when you do that to me. And it diffuses the bully and it empowers the victim so that then. They have. They realize that their their words really do have power, right?
2: Oh, great! Instead of just running away, because if their fight or flight kicks in, they'll just flee, but right. they won't solve the bully issue. Then mm-hmm. the bully knows there's the target.
0: Right. So uh, my my boy's ten, and he went to his teacher this week and said, "I don't like it when you when you say that this is all we're going to do, and then you add more homework. It stresses me out." That's great. And he was able to talk it through with her, and luckily she was receptive. Right. Right. Not. I'm the teacher yeah. and and problem solve that. And I didn't even know about it. So in giving him his big voice and teaching him what that means, not just saying, use your words, use your words, right. because if they had them, they would use them, but saying, I don't like it when you or please stop doing that. It hurts me. And so as we walk them down that path, then the idea is that I'm giving him the life skills that he can yeah. handle this it's without like me. It's like we
2: steal their voice, don't we? Yeah.
0: Yes. Uh-huh.
2: We take our kids' voice by demanding and not even letting them explain stuff,
9: or right. trying to solve the problem for them. For them. them. Mm-hmm.
2: Interesting. We use that a lot. Sorry. No, go ahead. We use that a
9: lot on the playground too. If they're you know struggling with social with some social skills to be able to say, "Do you want to go talk to them? Would that help you to f- to solve this problem?" They're like, "Yeah." I don't want to do it by myself. Okay, well, I'll go help you. So I'll help you with so the words. Right. We go over there. We practice. We go over there. And then they can do it. And and I'm a safe zone for them, right? So that they it's know that if I need help, they need help. I'm there. Yeah. But
2: I see this in marriages. We're afraid of conflict because we've probably avoided it our entire life, sure. including in preschool. And mm-hmm. maybe mom fought the battle for us. Yeah. And now we can take it into our marriages, our relationships.
0: And conflict isn't bad. No, conflict it's, it's is life, te- is, right? Is, it's a teaching moment. Yeah. And what we find, and as I was talking through this with my son, is he said, I worried more about it than if I just would have held, dealt with it right from the beginning. Yeah. And so it, it's almost like you get on a runaway train Rather than stopping the train from the get-go to solve the problem and then realizing it's not that big a deal. That teacher needed that information. He was able to feel better. That's right. It was a win-win for both.
2: And and he knew how to do it. So almost having the protocol that they can run through makes yeah. it like, oh, okay, I can it's do it. It's yeah. a script,
0: almost a script. And
2: plus if I don't speak it out, it's going to come out another way.
0: Right. Yeah
2: and it 'll just be he 'll hate school or right. be belligerent or he 'll be the bully right. or whatever interesting we 're speaking with Dory hawes and ann you 're um, about they 're here in the Child and Family Studies Laboratory at Brigham Young University, helping us understand how to relate to our children how to grow their character how, how to help them learn to deal with the world basic skills folks right We should all know these skills we 're going to put by the way up on our Twitter feed at Dr. Matt show. Um, a link to a really great little guideline tool to help you know what to say when to say it pretty cool steps we'll take a break come right back continue the discussion with our uh, preschool teachers oh it's such a cool thing stuff we all need to know stick with us this is the matt townsend show we'll be right back Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In studio, we have Ann Ure and Dory Haas, and uh, they're teaching us about our youngsters, uh, the kids, let's say under eight, the ones that are going to kindergarten, the ones that are going to uh, preschool, and um, just the basic developmental skills we need to be teaching them as parents. Um, Ann is the, been, uh, has been the director of the BYU Preschool and Kindergarten since 1998. And Dory has been an educator for 26 years. They teach the teachers how to teach the children. And they're here to to give us some skills, some tools. So far they've just taught us you gotta teach the kids what they you want them to do, not what you don't want them to do. How do I set an expectation with my kids? Can I can they really get what I expect?
9: One of the things that our that our students struggle with, Matt, our our BYU students, is they're used to talking to adults, right? And right. when we talk to adults, I kind of want to beat around the bush. I don't want to be as direct, and I want to make it nice. Yeah. So they come in teaching, talking to the students this way. So the first thing that we try to eliminate from their vocabulary is "okay" at the end of their yeah. okay. statements, yeah. right? Or "will and, you," "can yeah. you," or "I need you." Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. So if we can eliminate those so that it's a direct
2: – It's like an order.
9: Yeah. And with, with manners. It's
2: a mannered right. order. Yes.
9: Sit it's down. It's a command.
2: And sit I hear down. them
9: yeah. all the time. You're not seeing me being mean to the children. Do you ever hear me being mean? Well, no. So so it can not be done with, you know, Matt, you need to sit on your pockets today yeah. so the Ann can see.
2: Instead of will you sit down?
9: Because mm-hmm. they'll say no. Yeah.
2: Well, they, yeah. They're an agent they and they the want mention. to exercise their agency. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you, know, you have no idea what your agency means. That's yeah. interesting. So it's just, uh, honey, sit down. Do you say, honey?
0: I do. I'm from the south, so uh, yeah. uh, sweetie, honey, yeah. mm-hmm. I call them lovies. They're lovies. Loveies, sit yeah. down. Mm-hmm.
2: That's that's gentle. What if you want them to be quiet?
0: Mouths off. Or mouths off. Or yeah. Be quiet. Okay. Yeah. So shut your cake talking. hole. <laughs> not good. Okay. Good. good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Good.
2: Like hold on. I gotta write that down.
0: <laughs> shut your
2: cake hole. Or pie hole, I guess, is just as bad, right? Remember, do unto children as you want done
9: unto you. We might have parents coming back at us at that
2: point. So I learned on the Matt Townsend show you can't say shut your cake hole. That's my bread and butter. That's bad. So uh, you just say shut your mouth. Is that what no what did you say? You said something nice. Mouths off. Mouth's off. Yeah. Yeah, shut your mouth. (laughs) It's like Honey, let's close our mouth.
0: But a lot of times kids are talking because they're not getting their needs met. Elsewhere. So if I'm doing my job as a parent, like teaching them something, yeah. I'm going to engage them, they, they're they going to stay with me in theory, right? Right, right. Mine is a talker and he's going to talk regardless of how engaged his brain is because that's how he processes the world. But uh, so it's rethinking how we are viewing the management issue in front of us. It, developmentally, they're going to talk. So right. be at peace and stop trying to s- turn that off but channel it to appropriate ways. I think is the best one. Yeah, and
2: you don't need to always have it off, right? Right. I mean, like, let it be what it is, but then when you need them to listen, let's just turn it off. I'll give you instructions.
0: Quick second, but I'm going to give them, like, we'll wiggle their fingers high, and while they're doing that, their mouths naturally stop talking. That's a great trick. You know, I will keep my pacing or my instructions at a good pace so they're staying with me. If I slow down, then they're going to lose interest. If I talk too fast, they're going to lose interest.
2: So uh, So, so much of this is about us.
0: Sure. most of the time about sure. us.
2: My wife, she knows that trick. She knows that trick because when she wants me to shut up, she just feeds me.
0: <laughs> see? And then she's like, can she can talk to you me. engaged. It's the weirdest thing. She knows thing. you individually. But yes. that finger
2: thing in the air is pretty cool, too. I'm going to try it on Ben in a few minutes. We'll see if it works. Um, what do I do? Because I know you've talked about this already, but um, the emotions. We need to help our kids identify their emotion real time. Dory, how do you do that?
9: Well, we have a lot of... We have a couple of charts in the classroom. One, they're in um, very high traffic areas where we see a lot of emotion sometimes. And they're kid-friendly, so they know what they mean. Mm -hmm. And so they'll go over and quite often we'll see a couple of kids over there looking at the emotion chart saying, yeah, one time I was like this because, (laughs) you know, and so they're talking to each other. We use it the large group area so that when I have a child who's having a meltdown at the carpet we can say you know Matt it looks like you're feeling really frustrated we have a body language lesson that we did just a couple weeks ago where we start to look at people's body language and try to figure out what they're feeling so that then we can say you look like you're frustrated today because your eyes are all squinchy and your shoulders are hunched what are you feeling and so then we talk about that as a whole group and the kids are amazing as they come up with ideas maybe you need some Maybe you need some owie cream because we have creams to help them that to self-regulate, right. right? So somebody will go back to the eye care center and bring some owie cream for the child because they're feeling frustrated. Interesting. Um, it's just lotion. It's or yeah, just sanitizer. lotion and you rub it on yeah. and Yeah, then... it just has a picture of a cranky child on it to get rid of the grouchies, right? <laughs> what and a great so, idea. So there's cranky cream. We've focus focus cream. Focus cream. You have
0: stay cream. awake
2: cream because I've got a guy in <laughs> concentration. the studio
0: concentration that has
2: cream. a really hard time with concentration. <laughs> I'll get you some concentration cream, Ben.
9: You can pick out the smell. Oh, great. All right. We had a child this summer who... Usually we just use three creams, but he really struggled with anxiety. Mm. And so as I was talking to his parent and we were trying to figure out what would help him make that separation from mom to school, we said, you know, he's been kind of into the cream, so maybe we make a nervous cream.
2: Interesting.
9: It just worked just like that. He came over. He got nervous cream every day before he started school, and yeah. then he was fine.
2: You suggest we use a cream, not a drink. <laughs> so do you want the uh, the nervous drink?
9: <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, let me have that nervous drink. Well,
9: that then would get, we started yeah,
2: That's when the count. alcoholism yeah. started. Uh,
9: those are for <laughs> teachers.
2: Is it, it's. I love this idea. D- d- tell us, though, the psychology. We've only got about a minute. But what's the psychology – why do our kids need to know? I mean it makes sense – but what does it do for them, this young, to start connecting to their emotions and the emotions of others?
0: That's well, how empathy starts, right? So their emotional center of their brain is starting to come on, and those emotions are flooding them. So by labeling, it helps them identify what's this feeling with what's the name of this emotion, yeah. and then how do I handle it? So if the cranky creams don't work for me, then I can use a stress ball. So my ten-year-old uses a stress ball when he goes in to take his tests, his standardized tests. Great. Uh, he can they you know loveys like stuffed animals they can do that so something to just get their emotions channeled outward
2: and it separates it from that that they're not the emotion that's just what they're feeling so they don't think it's them that they're being mean
0: well that emotions are what we all experience yeah, it's, it's not unusual it's not bad it's it, we all feel it and as parents we have to model that I'm frustrated right now I need to take a moment yeah. to calm down I and then that. I'll come back and solve the problem with you.
9: There's a five-step program that we kind of use, which is I am, I calm, I feel, I choose, and I solve, right? And so even with adults, because so many times we get caught up in our emotions that that becomes what's happening with the children. And so as adults, as a teacher, if I can figure this out, then we can go ahead and teach the children Mm. how to do that.
2: It's it's so simple. You guys make it sound so simple. But you haven't met my kids. That's what every parent like, you don't know.
0: Hey, I have one. Yeah.
2: But that's what's amazing about it is these are just skills, right? And so all parents can learn these earlier. We're sure. going to have you back because I've got a million questions. And it's too bad because now my kids are too old.
0: No, you use them with, I use them with adults. Oh, can I? Yes. Can I, and
2: I can use them with my Same board off.
0: Yep. Sure. Yep. Okay.
2: Um, I'm glad. This, has been, this is going to change our life forever. I mean, uh, it doesn't
0: it remove their agency, right? They can yeah, still choose They can still, still act, sleep through the show. But I sure. can minimize issues. <laughs>
2: I love it. You guys are great. Again, we'll put this up on our website uh, at Dr. Matt Tweets. You can uh, not uh, not our website, our Twitter page at Dr. Matt Tweets. You'll get a link to it, and it's a great tool. Print it. You can use it. I'd put it in your car. I'd put it in. I'd put it in your booth. In your room, the, your special room, so you can, you know, talk without anyone hearing Thanks. you. Great stuff. Appreciate you again, and your Dory Haas. Keep up the great work there at Child and Family Studies Lab.
9: Keep Thank it you. up. Thank, Thank you. you.
2: Good stuff. We'll take a break when we come back. We'll be visiting our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Spencer and Jerem will be up. Stick with us, folks. We're about to go crazy and have fun. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back.
7: Zip the DA. My, oh, my, what a wonderful day.
2: Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to shoot it down to our good friends down there at uh, BYU Sports Nation. I believe it's Spencer and Brian Logan today. Hello, gentlemen.
12: That is correct. That is correct.
2: How are you guys?
12: We're fantastic.
8: Brian and I are reunited.
2: It's been, it's been too long. It's about time, Brian. Where have you been?
8: Um... I don't know. I've been around doing other shows, Afr, Man down the kickoff. It's different when it's when it's when it's when it's uh, football season. When Brian's it's been time cheating on
12: BYU Sports Nation.
2: <laughs> <laughs> this is like it sounds like infidelity. You're oh, not being faithful. Oh,
8: I'm faithful. I'm faithful. I'm faithful.
2: We I'm talk good. about you all the time on the show, Brian.
8: You, uh, you miss me, huh?
2: I totally miss you.
8: You miss my uh, angelic voice. Yes. Yeah. Rugged
2: yeah. good looks. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's hey, I've got so some bad news for your show really fast. That's awesome. I found out um that apparently the people when they're most unhappy is at eleven seventeen AM on Mondays.
12: Oh, mm-hmm. so just on Monday. Good thing uh-huh. it's a Wednesday. But it's see, that's day. why
2: your show is so important because your show doesn't it air in it airs at eleven seventeen. It's shot at eleven seventeen. At eleven o'clock to twelve o'clock. Mountain Standard Time. Central Time. Or Central Time.
12: Yep. So for everybody in the Central Time Zone.
2: They have a hard time with you.
12: At 10.17. I think we're coming back from commercial at that point mm-hmm. with our first guest of the day. Generally,
8: it's Trevor Matic of ESPN. Oh, so,
2: so that's probably pretty good. Boost the spirits th- of I those in the Central a, Time Zone.
8: I was going to say, I think it's a, good, it's a good thing that people are mad at that time. Because if they're watching the show, yeah. then it could, like Spencer said, it could boost their spirits.
2: You, you guys are like an analgesic. You're a uh, um, you're like a painkiller. I, I don't know what that means. You're a painkiller.
12: An analgesic. Yeah, that,
2: that's a painkiller. It's a technical term. I learned it as an EMT. <laughs> <Yep>.
12: <laughs> Can I spell that for you correctly? It's, tell me if I'm right. Yeah. A n a l g e s i c. Bing. Yes. Yes.
2: Nice. Nailed it. Can you use it in a sentence?
12: Um, <laughs> I could use an analgesic after every BYU Sports Nation show.
2: Oh, that is great. <laughs> you did it correctly. See? We're all learning together. Hey, what's on your show today? I know you guys got to go get ready. Got to go get uh, Brian all waxed up, ready for the show.
8: I already did that. Okay, good. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. What's, Brian came ready. <laughs> what's coming up he today? Game came to
12: Studio be ready. <laughs> today, because Brian, we have the... Dubious honor of having him in studio. We are going to talk about something that he loves very much, and that is defense, and defense. why the defense, not BYU's heralded offense under quarterback Tanner Mangum, why the defense needs to win the game on Friday night.
2: Ooh, that's a lot of pressure.
8: That's what that's what we live for, though, as defensive players. Yeah, you know, I would would much rather. I think Bronco too would much rather put it on the defense than the offense. Because then he can say, you know what, this was my fault. You know, guys didn't prepare well. And, uh, and yeah. I mean, That's it, it cool. Was, it was interesting. And may I'll go a little bit more into to detail coming up here soon. But uh, it was interesting how we would give uh, – or, or the offense, when I played, would have a, an interception or a fumble return for a touchdown. And for some reason, I don't know why, what was going on in, in Coach Mindenhall's brain, but it was our fault. <laughs> we weren't even on the field we were not even on the field we we're on the sideline that's right. Brian chilling and we got in trouble for that where's Logan yeah, yeah I need to take it out on somebody yeah that's
2: great that's a great topic and so um you're you're proposing it has to be this way
8: that's it uh, yeah. has to be yeah it it, it it does
2: well I bet the offense loves that okay of course, you guys, the
8: offense loves it. See, that's the, that's the thing. Go see, ahead. Now, now you're getting me, you getting me all riled up. I'm getting, I'm straightening up in my seat right now. Oh no! I'm putting the mic up closer to my mouth. <laughs> uh, see, that's why the offense. What, what, what's very unfortunate for defensive players at Brigham Young University uh, is that uh, they don't really get the, the the glory and the shine like offensive players, obviously, Because right. they're not scoring points. But then when the offense struggles. Uh, and, and, and you're still yeah, winning. Can't, point up, can't put up points. The and, 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 and the defense maybe gives up a couple points. It's the defense's fault. Ah, uh,
2: yep. see, it's no not glory, fair. No honor. It's not fair.
12: Nope. Mm-mm. You well, know plenty, what? Plenty of self-imposed honor.
8: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you got to be a different cat, different dude to play defense.
2: You guys, that's uh, you do have to be. But you know what? I always like defense more. There just there's more. There's more uh, creativity it seemed like. Yes. You can make up a lot.
8: You can. It's
12: a lot of huh. reaction.
2: That's cool. It's well, that's a very
12: reactionary, which a lot of people don't think about in the dynamic of football. Right. Defense is 100% reactionary. Yeah. And because and, you don't know until the offense does what they're going to do. I mean, you can you can anticipate, but you have to wait and see mm-hmm. until they do something.
8: Yep.
2: And then you can collapse on it and just crush them and break their neck.
8: Yep. Yeah, that sounds yeah. fun. Yep. Uh, uh, possibly, that was really possibly aggressive. Happen, uh, you know, in football, those injuries
2: <laughs> do occur. You guys, this has been a great show so far. We've already learned about spelling, Mm-hmm. analgesics, analgesics, and you use the word dubious. We won't even go into the spelling of sounds that.
8: D u b i o u s. Jesus. Bingo again. I feel like mm-hmm. Jesus is, is sounds like it.
2: Yeah. Well. Um, <laughs>
12: What is happening now? I have no <laughs> idea. The board's <laughs> taking over. Maybe I should may know. It's well, <laughs> we need to end this segment. We do right totally. Now.
2: Let's end it right now. You guys have a great show. Knock them dead, Brian. Great to have you back. Keep. Uh, well, I won't even ask where Jerem is, but I'm going to ask later. So just know. <laughs> hey Matt. Um, yeah. Just
12: another thing. BYU basketball women's uh, media day. Yeah. Okay. Jeff Judkins,
2: former NBA. I love Juddie. Yeah. In studio wow jamming with juddy is back okay we're done now jamming with juddy good (laughs) luck gentlemen (laughs) thank you see you guys have a great show that's cool jeff jeff judkins what a stud university of utah boston celtics i believe didn't he play for the celtics anyway good stuff um those guys those guys are great we did a spelling bee I, i tricked him on the old analgesic word i threw that word out did you know what that word meant ben he's saying no Yeah, every once in a while, I just like to throw it out there. You know, a little curveball to some people. Here's one for you. So a Florida man led deputies on a high-speed chase, but he claimed that he wasn't even the driver of the car. The high-speed chase began when the deputy spotted a white four-door vehicle speeding through the neighborhood. The deputy attempted to pull the vehicle over, but the driver sped up while attempting to turn and traveled right into a ditch. That's where they pulled out Relaford Cooper III, 26-year-old kid. I mean, 26 is still a kid in my eyes. Overcorrected. He swerved, went through the ditch, crashed into a home. But when they got him out, guess what? He said he wasn't even driving. He was being handcuffed, and Cooper said, look, I wasn't even driving the car. My dog was driving the car. (laughs) My dog was driving the car. I ran because I wanted to, man. You ain't going to find no drugs on me and my dog. Go check my dog, man. Frisk my dog. My dog's got a rabid habit. (laughs) Anyway. I appreciate you, by the way, Ben, breathing on the microphone during that one. Because it made it sound real. That was really good.
10: Yeah, I, I do what I can.
2: You did more than what you can right there, my friend. You did all you could do. Well, it's been a good show. As you know, um, we always like to end the show on a hero story. And today's hero is Diane Reed, a mail carrier from Cherubusco, Cherubusco, Indiana. And uh, she is a a postal worker and was honored with an award for assisting an elderly woman. Listen to this story. A Cherubusco, Indiana mail carrier has been honored for helping an elderly woman in need while on her route Cherubusco rural carrier Diane Reed was making a delivery just after noon when she noticed one of her customers, an 80-year-old woman, sitting in her car in her garage. The woman was sitting sideways and still wearing her nightgown. So Reed realized something was very wrong. Reed said she checked with her customer and discovered that the woman had been locked out of her house since 6.30 a.m. and had been alone in her garage since then. The elderly woman had no phone and couldn't call anybody. Reed then contacted a family member, stayed with the woman until that person arrived with a key. Once the woman was safely inside, Reed continued on her route. Cherubusco Postmaster Lori Thomas said she was so proud of Reed's heroic action, so much so that she nominated her for the Postmaster General Hero Award. Thomas received a copy of the letter from the General uh, General's office last week which thanked Reed for her, her-, her-, her heroism and applauded her as a valuable member of the Postal Service family. To further recognize her heroism, acting Greater Indiana District Manager Jeff Camp and Post Office Operations Manager David Conwell on Monday presented Reed with a copy of the Postmaster General's letter. So, Diane Reed, you postal worker, you, uh, you're also a hero. You're the Matt Townsend hero of the day. Thanks for going out of your way to care enough, to open your heart up enough for those that you're, you're serving. You know, it's one thing to do your job, isn't it? It's another to just care about the people that you are impacting, the lives you're coming across. Every one of us, folks, could be, uh, could, could be that kind of hero for someone in our lives. So please, find a way in your circle of influence, in your sphere of life, to influence someone's life and be their hero. Again, uh, we do this show three hours a day to give you the tools, the information you need. We can't do it without you. So please find us on iTunes or tune in. look us up on byuradio.org uh, and uh, we're here to help. And that was Ben. we're gonna take a, we're actually we're out of here folks. that's the show. until tomorrow, take care of each other and make it a great one. We'll talk again tomorrow.